0: Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler and I am Quentin Wilson. Who are you? <laughs> and I am
1: Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiast Podcast did not come up with a tagline for the show today, Quentin, but I will tell <laughs> you. It is brought to you by the good folks at Disney and AJV and the Disney AD stores. Uh, we've got a lot of content to get through. This is going to be a part of kind of I think uh, a double header, a double week double header. Oh. Right, So we, we, we teased this in the last show. We've got a lot of content from our trip to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. We were there for MotoGP, but we were also there for two press launches, one with the Suzuki for the Jixxer 1000, and the other with Aprilia for the V4 lineup with the RSV4 and the Tuono V4. So I think for today's show, Quentin, I want to talk about just Suzuki stuff, if that's all right with it you. Sounds
0: good to me. This is going to be a treat for the listeners. Oh, Yeah. Two yeah. in a week, right? Double double down,
1: double your pleasure. Yeah, all of the above. A lot of Q&J. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: all right, let's get to it. Suzuki's. Okay.
1: So we've got a good interview with Kevin Schwantz that I want to I wanna kind of edit into the show. But first, I want to talk to you about a motorbike. Yep, let's do it. We got to ride the 2017 GSXR 1000 around the Circuit of the Americas. So this is Suzuki's brand new from scratch,
0: from the wheels up, superbike. Well, for the first time, really, since 2009. Yeah. Like, they did a mild update in, like, 12 or 13, but generally, yeah. it was since 2009, which is, frankly, uh, par for the course for the industry right now. Did you press record? You bet I did, um, buddy. It did just you just psyched have you to check? Out. Did you just have to check? Love it, love All it. All right, no, you didn't psych me out. I just have to honestly ask because you know. No, that's fair. No, okay. that's fair. Man. Fair enough. Okay, so colloquially, 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 well, that,
1: because this is an issue when we when we do things.
0: Yeah, and when I forget it's, to hit when the it's record. By the norm, yeah. you have a tendency to not hit the record the second time because the stupid recorder requires you to hit it twice. Yeah. And you, that's what I was going to say before. Before I was interrupted because I couldn't pronounce colloquially. Colloquially, because really? that's what it's known in the United States, at least, is a Gixxer. And I'm pretty sure the marketing department has had to own it, but they won't. They won't say that, right? So they actually have a bike
1: for I want to say the Indian and Southeast Asian market hmm. that is the G I X X E R, like 150. Seriously? Yeah, it's spelled out Gixxer. That is
0: great. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I'm impressed that they would just own it just just full on good for them Man's so on. yeah but at the same time it is a gsxr whatever that means in suzuki land it'd be interesting to see if any company person from any one of the manufacturers can come up with a reason why they had their like fzr gsxr cbr right i'd like to see how it is like i never have heard it I'm sure it makes perfect sense, but I've I'd there is an it.
1: engineer somewhere in the marketing department that this makes like perfect sense for. Yeah, for sure.
0: That is, that is their job. That is yep. they don't have any
1: other purview of of their daily duties except to explain the crazy four letter acronyms that their company comes up with. Yep. But we should say um, riding the bike
0: pretty good. Very good. Yeah, I was happy with it. On, on, on like a scale of one to ten, what would you give it for me? Eight. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I give mean, it I can't. An, I, I give it an eight. It's it's not a ten because it's not. Uh it's, but it sounds so stupid to say it like that, but it's just straight up. It's the what we rode was the standard model, non ABS, right? So, yeah. So the heavy amount of feature on this bike was number one, it is new. It has a new engine with a pretty rad um uh variable valve timing system that works pretty well and revs like a mother effer. I mean it goes to fourteen five, I think, is yeah. which is I mean, that sounds like oh yeah, well, there's all kinds of motorcycle engines do that. Not thousands, not, not a lot of not, not, a, lot of of, bikes. not yeah. a lot of thousands, right? And and it's of note how how much of a a thrusting rush, like a, you feel it, a thrusting I, rush, a thrusting rush. Did you use that in your article? I don't know if I did thrusting rush, a thrusting rush, rushing thrust, but it's good. Like it, you feel it, and you feel it at the top. Better than a
1: rushing thrust, rushing
0: Russian Russian thrust. That would be yeah. on Milosevic? No, that was Slovenia. Who would be who would be the Russian thrust? Putin. Oh yeah, so um, the the power comes on, and it is of note that it, you feel it. And a lot of these thousands, you're already going so fast. How would you feel a a an uptick in the power? Well, because at like after 10,000 RPM, it, it comes and kicks you in the ass. It's good.
1: Well, let me let me interrupt you for a second because I think we need to break down for our listeners. There's there's three flavors of bikes going on here. You have the base model Gixxer, which comes in at fourteen thousand six hundred. Then there's the ABS model, which is an even 15,000. And then there's the GSXR 1000 r which is the kind of upmarket model that. That's homologation special a bit. No, no, I wouldn't. I, I don't that. think it's yeah, fair I to call it a hom- homologation special because there's nothing engine or chassis wise on it that they're doing that's special for homologation purposes. Yeah. It is purely a market segmentation motorcycle with more features and it comes in at an even 17 grand. And the differences between the bikes is there's not a lot in terms of obviously the chassis and the motors are all the same. With the ABS model Jixer, you do get the addition of the rear wheel lift control, which the base model non-ABS does not have because you need an ABS modulator to do that. Got it. But that is different than on the GSXR 1000R, which has the cornering ABS. So that's the a- ABS unit now has an IMU attached to it. And you can you know yep break to the apex, leaned over, and you won't tuck the front. I put that in quotes because your mileage may vary on the racetrack, but yeah, that's sure. what it's designed to do on the to do on the street.
0: Is that it would activate while at lean,
1: right? Whereas a lot of other ones, well, they'll still activate at lean, but the the bike will know you know because of the IMU, the positioning of the bike, yeah. and the whole idea is that it won't uh, stand the bike
0: up and, sure. and have it. It, it does the it chassis. better than you could, frankly.
1: You know, Claudio Domenicoli explained it to me in the best terms I think I've ever heard. Cornering ABS does to the front wheel what traction, condu- traction control does for the rear wheel. You know, it's that it's that next level of safety. Uh, for that extra seventeen grand, uh, Suzuki's also adding in an up and down quick shifter, launch control. I already said the cornering ABS. Uh, there is upgraded showa suspension. There is a race ready triple tree clamp, which is lighter, which I don't huh. really know what that means. It's race ready. And then it's got those little LED marker lights.
0: Oh really? Yeah. Huh. All right. So 17 grand. So two two grand premium on the ABS to 2,400 on the standard. Right. 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 And what we rode was standard. The standard there wasn't there was a couple ABS bikes floating around. Were there? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. But whatever. I did. I I, I didn't ride one. Yeah, me neither. So, okay. So we neither of us did. So there's that. Um I, uh, initial impression was like, okay, motor's good. It's not my favorite to have a high RPM engine. Like, I, I'm uh, straight up, I'm, I'm, I am a quintessential, a quintessential, if you will, uh, <laughs> a Ducati customer. All that the is, face palms. All the that face bombs. Become so desensitized to big twins that rev slow but make power in a broad, uh, region. So for me, it's, uh, it, it's a tough sell, but I like this and I got along with it pretty quick and I was happy with the way it it made power. There were times where, at the lower RPMs, when it, you say lower RPMs, where is that? When when we talk about something of a fourteen, four to seven, okay, right? Where I could accelerate pretty easily g- any given gear with a with a with a big twin. That's you know, let's call it 1099 or eleven ninety eight. The eleven ninety nine Ducati, it was, it's a higher RPM engine, but still you can still twist the throttle, and get acceleration and lower RPM. And This bike still, even with the variable valve timing, doesn't have that. Of course it's not going to. It has to rev to 14.5. So I think it's a bit, I wouldn't call it disingenuous, but I would call it kind of unrealistic to think that the motor is going to be uh, as tractable at low end as it is at fourteen five, that's just ridiculous, right?
1: Well, I mean that's the thing. I think when you, whenever you start putting together a, it's almost two hundred horsepower in American horsepower. Yeah, it's, I think they're quoting two oh one in European, you know, weird metric conversions. Yeah, um, which I don't agree like with. PS or whatever. that exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. CV PS. When you DIN, do whatever that is. Yeah. When you convert the kilowatt hours into American horsepower, it's yep. just a tad under two hundred, which is a pet peeve of mine. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. But we'll we'll get past that for a second. I think anytime you start getting into that kind of stratospheric range, and you're doing and you're making power through revs, it's a world of compromises. I think though the 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 very valve timing does a pretty good job yep. though of trying to give you the best of both worlds. And
0: so everybody understands what's going on is that the there is a, a very interesting mechanism that's gonna gonna be nearly impossible to describe on on uh, on radio but it's a a centrifugal so i see i said centripetal when it was centrifuge so it's like a centrifuge where spinning out these balls the balls activate on ramps that that spin the cam relative to the gear so the cam itself gets advanced or retarded depending on where you're at in the rev range um, and that can ha- has a marked effect, and I believe it's the intake cam it has a marked ef- uh, effect on how the engine behaves, and it's pretty simple like that. A lot of people think that there's a lot of hocus pocus with VVT. Depends on the <clears throat> manufacturer. Depends on the on the system. This is really simple solution. Extremely simple solution, and dude, I love it,
1: dude. The, there's there's this concept amongst engineers of the elegant solution. This, this is an elegant
0: solution. Occam's Razor, the simplest solution to the problem is probably the best, right? And, you know, there's just, just
1: looking at it. We'll have to post the video. I think, I know Suzuki's got a, a boat ton of videos showing this off because it is really trick technology that comes from the MotoGP program. Talk about using simple machines. It's literally just using ramps and balls and gears. And it's just, mm, yeah. I, I, I have to give my, my hat off to them because it is so elegantly done. And you, and you kind of worry for a second, like, Okay, well, it's it's really simple. Does it work? Yeah, it works. So, sure. so they they came up with a really clever, simple way of achieving something
0: fairly complex. And if you saw other manufacturers' solutions for this, and this could be car, bike, whatever, there's a lot of hideously complex ones. Ducati's uh, for the Multistrada 1200 is, uh, is pretty good. It's not bad. It, it uses oil pressure. Yeah. But if you picked up one of the units, it's like a pound yeah. each. And there's four of them on a Ducati, right? Each cam is independent, so there's a lot of interesting adjustability for them. Uh, you can use uh, the, w- how they do it, but it's complex. It's uh, there's a lot of potential failure modes. But it's not
1: as complex as say like the early
0: Honda nope. versions, which were Horrible.
1: a nightmare. Yeah.
0: If you especially
1: if you had a VFR 800 with one of those, right. it was known
0: that you you were going to spend as much money to do a full valve adjustment on a Honda VFR 800 as you were to an a, an equivalent ducati from there it was bizarre for most people to to get that of course at the, the time the, they would go further but uh, to bef- before they needed to be adjusted or checked but still it was really not good and then also they were known for being at the wrong spot like the the the, the it would kick in the variable valve timing would kick into the higher power mode um at a really inopportune time, right? when You know, somewhere between 55 and 65 miles an hour uh, in top gear. So a lot of people were complained about how it did it because it would just kind of go in and out and in and out, right? And I know my mom has an S2000, which is rad, and it works incredibly well in that car. You're going down the road, you want to give it the beans, it, it gives it to you. But if you're just cruising and it happens to be at the right rev range or at the, at the, at the right load, and I don't even know what the mechanism looks like. I know it's very simple in that car but whatever. Anyway, this is really good and it worked fairly well. First time out, I get on the bike and I was, I had to learn Coda number one, which is a 20 turn 3.4 mile gnarly track. It's gauntlet. gnarly. It's a gauntlet. Yeah, it has it's, everything a, a, a racetrack can throw at you. It, all, all types of corners. Um, the only thing that it doesn't have straight up is a good flow. It has a lot of no, yeah. bus choppy. stop choppy to bus stop to bus stop to bus stop with some flow in between but uh, you know I can't, it, it's, it sounds like you're complaining about uh you know a, a good pizza one of the nicest chocolate racetracks cake. in america yeah right yeah it's amazing like uh i'm not it's tough to nitpick it i'm just saying it's great to evaluate a bike with i, I thought perfect track for that right perfect. i thought because you do have the mix of stuff but from a rider standpoint i want more flow where i don't have to worry about bus stopping I, and no more than once a lap. And if I could, I, I would only. I wouldn't even want to have a bus stop. A, a bus stop to me is a first gear, ninety degree or tighter corner. That is a bus stop. I would say it's not a rider's track. I just put it that way. Just leave it at that. Okay, fair enough. So I get out on it. I'm having to learn the track, which is difficult uh, on a bike that I don't know. And I, you know, gonna, to be honest with you, I hadn't ridden a super sport spec bike or a you know a crotch rocket, a fairing clip on bike. Since in a year and a half.
1: And now you're riding the crotch rocket of crotch rockets. Right.
0: I mean, I had ridden them, but not on track. <laughs> right. And and I'd been on track with multistratas and crap like that. But I, it was weird to, to think about because I was like, whoa, I do all this stuff, but I've been doing so much dirty stuff. I do it all so dirty. Right. So now I got to go clean and get on the track and get like on this bike and be like, oh, so it was tough, but it was made good by... Luckily, I have a lot of experience and I was able to learn the track pretty quick. And the journalists that were out there, most everybody had to knock out some cobwebs so I could follow along with, you name the fancy journalist people that were out there that weren't, aren't me. And I got up to speed pretty quick and I was stoked. And the bike was easy to ride to get used to it. Then in the later in the day, then I had to start tweaking it. But in the beginning, I was just getting used to the bike and I just laid laps down over and over and over. It probably helped that we did some siding laps with the courtesy of uh, Kenny Roberts Jr. and Kevin Schwantz. That I didn't get to them until later on, though, (laughs) right? They weren't, I didn't see them until way later in the day.
1: You didn't go on that little warm up group?
0: No, not really. I mean, I was uh, behind. Who else was out there? Blake, Blake. Yeah, I was behind Blake Young. Then that for sure that helped, absolutely, because we were all having to go behind him. But even then, you know how it is when you're a racer, you're you're like, is this the line? Is he he taking that because it's the line, or is it just because we're We're going so slow that you can't, right? Because sometimes that's of note that you can't follow the line that you would normally follow unless you're at speed. It's really difficult to do. But Blake did a wonderful job, Abs- absolutely, for sure. So I got used to the bike pretty quick. Uh, I Before I even went out, I had them adjust the levers down. That's a typical, not failure mode, but it's a typical setup thing where they put the levers almost facing upwards on most Japanese sport bikes. Gixxers always seem to have this, where the levers, uh, you put your hands on the bars from a seated position on the bike, and your hands are, your wrists are at, an, at like, I don't know. 10 degree angle up and that annoys the shit out of me. So I had them adjust the the the, the, the levers, the front c- control levers down. The foot levers were fine. That was the only thing I had them do. I go out and I ride around for a bit. I got to the point where I was fast and the thing that I felt was lim- limiting me from from my norm which was GP shift. I'm used to GP shift. I can ride standard shift. I'm okay with it, but I do have to concentrate a bit and I'm so accustomed to quick shifters now not up and down quick shifters, but normal, just on the throttle, uh, acceleration quick shifters that, you know, it's of note when I'm on a racetrack, my brain goes into a specific mode where I felt like, shoot, at least I should do GP. Cause it'll help me be a little bit more smoother as I'm shifting. Sure enough, it did. Right. So I had them come in or I had them do that when I came in they, they, they timed it cause they were, I think they were testing their, their, uh, their people that were doing the mechanicking there. So the technicians, it was like a minute and a half when I came into the pits, which is pretty impressive. So I grabbed a thing of water while they were doing that, went back out. And then I was way more comfortable because I could, you know, here's the deal. If you do reverse shift, um, the, the big deal is when you're upshifting and you end up downshifting. So say if you have standard shift, that's the tendency. If you're in red mess mode and your brain is ready to do, res- uh, you know, if you're racing or on a track, my brain at least will have a tendency not to fail backwards, but will to fail forward. So I will fail downshifting when I want to upshift instead of upshifting when I want to downshift, which right. is it's significantly more dangerous. So I did that. Then, then I started to play with the modes um, or th- start thinking about every time I went out. Like, but I was doing some long stints because, frankly, it was a lot of fun. I was having a lot of fun. So I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Whatever the opportunity I'm going to have to do this type of stuff, I'm not like Jensen here who gets to go on these awesome press launches all the time. I'm like, this is found money. I'm turning 40 in two days and I'm going to get to ride the Jixxer Thaw one day and the RSV the next. I'm going to mind my P's and Q's no no puns there are intended, but I'm going to mind my P's and Q's, yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm going to um, try and ride sanely, but tr- also try and have some fun, so I just go out there for long stints. Um, I came in just straight up tired one time, and uh, Ari, is that how you say his name? Ari. Ari, so my apologies. Ari from Motorcyclist. Yeah, Ari was talking with Kenny Roberts Jr., and it was just awesome to watch that interaction, because there's... Kenny Roberts Jr. someone that I watched a lot when I was just deep into motorcycling. I think I just started working at pro Italia when he won his championship in 2000. so this is a this is someone that I grew up watching right Not a lot of now I think about all the people that might not even really recognize who that is which is kind of sad but is what it is I, I could appreciate it and he they were going over track gearing on the track which is of note because this brings up a, a point about the bike. I had been having trouble in certain corners being in first gear was not necessarily too tall but it was very snatchy and the throttle felt yes. felt super it, it wasn't horrible but it wasn't optimal and and but hold on and I the problem is that when you're when you're learning a track and you're learning how to go fast and you're learning a bike you're not going as fast and I know that and so I I had it in my head, you know what, I'm just going to have to start increasing my corner speed or wait for that to come because these exits are going to be choppy until then. So I'd kind of resolved to have that. And there was one one of these bus stops in particular that was frustrating because it just felt kind of shitty. And I knew the bike was good. I just was like, meh, that that feels horrible. Came in and I saw them talking about it. And Ari was like, oh yeah, I'm Aerie. in. Ari was like, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I am revving it out in first gear here, here, and here. And Kenny was like, "No, well, I'm, I'm just using second because you know, I, he had the corner speed. He hadn't been on track in a long time. He's, I think he said the last time he'd been on track was 2007. This is a goddamn world champion. So I'm sorry, he's fine. He's fast. So he was saying, you 'Ah, you're, you're, I'm not making enough time, or justifiably making enough time to try and just scream through in first. I'm just going to use, I'm just using second.' So I started doing that. Um, not everywhere that they did. But a couple of the corners and it for sure helped because the motor was tractable enough to get out of that corner. But again, my brain was so used to a high RPM engine that I I wouldn't think that I could do that. Whereas if I was on a Ducati all day long, I could have I could have been in there in third and probably done okay on an A forty eight even. So that was interesting to find out because I I it, it took that for me to feel comfortable doing second because I was just kind of like the, the difference between the gears is too much. So that's the point of me talking about this, is that I think that's a street setup, and it's great for street bike. That means you can pull away from a stop sign, stop light, your driveway, whatever, on a GSX-R1000, and it's going to be awesome and easy and perfectly made for the street, and mostly for street riding, whereas um, most other bikes have a closer ratio transmission, where first gear is taller. But that makes it a little bit trickier dealing with, you know, slipping the clutch or modulating the clutch on your way through, through traffic and whatnot. So I thought that was of note that, that they opted for that. And I'm pretty sure I didn't ask any of the engineers, but I'm like, all right, well, that's a street bike thing for sure. Nothing wrong with it, but it didn't feel good on the track. I didn't like it. I didn't like having that huge span between first and second gear. I shouldn't say huge, but there was, there was a difference there.
1: Yeah. I, you know, when you were talking about the the variable valve timing you know that was one of the things i would say like it is very good especially since you're getting a good hit of power i would say from midway through the rpms and up but i my big complaint was that like low speed small throttle movement kind of choppiness like especially at turn 11 before you get on to the back straight yeah that's where i had the hardest issue and that was a turn that i really couldn't for me at least put the bike into second and still feel like I was getting through there quick. Like I definitely noticed, like, okay, right, I'm not getting out of the turn yeah, nearly sure. as fast because I'm in second gear instead of first and gear. And it's
0: a critical corner because it goes on to a, a six gear straight away. Right, right. Like, that's really You're long. You're breaking
1: at 175, 180 on Un- these bikes. Uh,
0: unreal, unreal thing. It's cool, though, it. right? Yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah. That, and that is good. So that's a lot of people would complain. Well, when, what what... Why do you hate these bus stops if it's like, well, you can have threshold braking zones like that and not have a bus stop at the end of it, right? Right. So it could be a chicane or a chicken, as Rossi would call it. But I I, I just, it just didn't feel great on these. And, but I'm with you that it didn't quite feel that great coming out of that. Or it was just difficult to modulate straight up.
1: Yeah, it's just hard. And, you know, maybe. Maybe some sprocket changes. It is a cassette gearbox. so You could, in
0: theory... That was cool. I didn't know that until we saw that presentation. I'm like, wow, they are not screwing around. That uh, cassette-style transmission, for those of you who don't know, allows you to disassemble the transmission, remove it from the engine without splitting the engine cases. Normally, on an inline four-cylinder engine, the cases are split horizontally so that when you take the engine out of the frame, you could flip it upside down and remove the bottom of the engine... Almost like you would a oil pan from a car or from most motorcycles. You'd remove that, and you could access the transmission in some cases easily. Uh, but it's you still have to remove the whole engine to do that, really.
1: And this was an issue when Yamaha had to Yamaha had to recall the the YZF R1 a couple. Yep. Of, what was a year and a half ago when you and I were talking about that?
0: Yeah, it had to be. It was yeah. not too long after we started. So yeah, that makes it a, a little bit more uh, difficult to do. I don't know which other manufacturers have a cassette style transmission. I think the RSV4 does. RSV4 does. I don't. The Ducati definitely doesn't because they were rumored to be doing that with the Panigale. But it's very difficult to engineer this. It, it is. It and it's also especially with an engine that's. A stressed member, such a highly stressed member as, a, as the Panigale, adding extra complexity in the casting and places where things bolt together, that might have been a, a problem. On the Jixer. they just decided, hey, we can do this. It's going to make certain race formats easier or straight up serviceability. And maybe it doesn't cost them that much if they engineered it from the start at that way. It's just a cool thing. Basically, all you have to do is remove the clutch pack. And then once you've removed the clutch side, you do a bunch of bolts um, you know, behind a... Yeah, on the other side and it pulls out. It's really rad. So yeah, maybe that's the deal. All right, we're going to put a a really low first gear, but it'll be easy to change. I I don't know. Yeah. So that was one thing. Then the breaks over the course of time, I would just, then that first couple sessions before I was going fast, even right off the bat, because you're doing one fifth, let me see, it was no fourth to first, sixth to first, fifth to first, like, really fast to first gear, long threshold braking as hard as you can, that cooks brakes straight yeah. up. It makes rotors turn black and blue, literally. Um, And it makes, it, it, it tests the braking system heavily. This braking system has Brembo calipers, what look like Brembo rotors, but they didn't say Brembo on them. And they didn't claim that they were Brembo. But they have a T-drive mechanism on every other connection between the aluminum carrier, and the steel rotor that seems like a Brembo thing. So, it goes from uh, a, a normal button style. Most people are used to seeing buttons on brake rotors. They're circular. Um, they're, they're, for lack of a better term, they're, they're springs. And they allow the rotor to move a little bit uh, to keep the rotors square between the pads so that there's a lack of um, friction, so that they're not ever really rubbing on the pads once you've released the brake. Um, it's, it's just something that's done for really for uh, for efficiency more than anything, um, and that's something that's I think been like basic since the I don't know late 80s early 90s, yeah. Yeah. right? So this drive mechanism with these buttons, which have little Belleville washers on one side to create the spring, and then these T drive, which is ostensibly lighter weight, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird thing. So the you rotor, would, you would think you would go with one or the other. Yeah. And, the,
1: and the T drive is Brembo's new new jam, and I think you're right. I think it is for a weight a weight thing. I think it's just a more. And simple... And they've been using
0: T drive like, but only T drive on on a rotor probably for ten years. I would say the first time I saw that in racing applications was late 2000s. Yeah, mid but to late now 2000s. it's
1: trickling into the mainstream. Yep. But but it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit here. It's go interesting it, to see Suzuki make that choice and having it be or or i don't know if it's a suzuki necessarily making that choice but their breaking partner and them deciding to go with that choice because i think like that is a great encapsulation of like the braking package on the suzuki overall or on on the Jixer, i should say um because you've got that hey it's the caliper it says brembo on it. it's got the right name on it and hey you look at the brake rotor and it's got the t you know instead of the button well, you know, on some of them. So you you feel like you're getting, like, the new trickiest yeah. and latest stuff. And it's got the radial master cylinder. But then you look and it's, like, rubber hoses. And and I think my braking experience was way worse than yours. Uh, my, I, my lever went all the way to the bar the first lap out. Came back in, adjusted the the lever positioner to its maximum position out. It was at a stock position, which was, like, a three. Took it out to a one. So that's the maximum lever distance. Went back out. Still, nearly brought the lever all the way back to the bar, coming into to turn twelve, and came in and was just like, "Hey guys, like I'm getting a lot of brake fade. Well, let's what, what, what can we do about it?" And they bled the brakes, and it was better, but I still had a lot of brake fra- uh, brake fade throughout the day. And I just one of those things where I'm just like, "This isn't a really good system for racetrack use. Probably fine on the street, but I feel like more importantly, it's got all like the right little." Logos and names and and shapes to it that make people think it's really good, but it doesn't have the substance to back it up. Like for me, the brakes were the weakest part of that bike.
0: No, I I agree. Um, and but it was having to slow you down, Jensen. And you know, oh, is that a fat joke? <laughs> nah. No, it's a big joke. You're I'm a, just a big guy. You're a big person.
1: You know, you, you make that joke, but it, but it was interesting. And you know, I don't want to like do too much. Talking about the RSV4, the, uh, you know, back to back in the and and and
0: show. Jensen, is it in and out too much in and out? Were you in California for too long? You know, I didn't get.
1: I don't think I got a single In and Out burger while <laughs> I was in California. I, I haven't in a while. Yeah, 18. yeah. I didn't even get to go to my little favorite fish burrito place either. <sighs> but, but I will say, like the 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 shape and the ergonomics of the jixer do suit a larger gentleman like myself. I'm six foot two but for a yeah, reader. suited
0: up. me, and normally GSXRs feel awful so the thinness of this bike and i was going to get to that later would be the ergos were fantastic for me i was super comfortable and usually again sorry i have to keep bringing up ducati but i know the drinking game is live and well but the bikes are thin they always have been and i love them and i bought a triumph 675 because it was thin i like thin right
1: that's that's the curse of of the inline four right you you've got this engine it's gonna always be really wide across um you look at you look at a v-twin it's just do you want four cylinders next to each other or one cylinder next to each other like yeah, by sure. itself really you know, the other cylinders behind it yeah yeah. Sure. so it's just that's just the nature of the beast and that's always been the case and that was one of the big things when when Honda you know revamped the the CBR 1000 for this model year was trying to get that that width of just the body down because there's not a lot you can do in terms of chassis and engine but you can at least kind of shape the body work
0: around it and then that helps ride better you can ride better We're, if you have more room to move
1: Right. But what I was trying to get to was like going down that back straight. I had a lot of wind protection. I'm a big guy. I'm, I'll have a long torso too. You know, for being six two, I have a much longer torso than I do legs, which just kind of makes me oddly shaped. So for me to get tucked behind a windscreen is a difficulty. I had great wind protection on the jigsaw. Yeah. Uh, so whatever work they did in the wind tunnel and getting the body work to do its thing, spot on bevin for me.
0: It did. It worked well for me as, uh, but it, again, the brakes weren't for me. They weren't that bad, but it would be the weakest part of the bike for sure. It'd be the first thing i replace if I'm doing track days. Yeah. And I, I had just from experience, I've seen Nissan master cylinders. If maybe if they're coupled with Nissan calipers, it's okay. But the way it was set up and maybe you're right, it's just the lines or something like that. But it didn't, it wasn't a good recipe, even if you have all no, the names. Whatever right? that, whatever that system was, and I don't know if it's if it's a pad rotor
1: change, if it's a lines and a master cylinder or some you know variation thereof. I would probably start with pads and start working yeah, my way out sure. with the cheap stuff.
0: Well, you got to be careful though, because if you know, if you the whatever pads are on street bikes are usually they probably won't leave too much of a deposition, but if the like the way those rotors are crooked. You would have to, I don't know, refinish the rotors, at least bead blast them to get any of the material that's stock off right. so that you could start with, I don't know, what you name the centered gnarly pad, or maybe it wouldn't be centered. Um, I used for a long time something called Carbon Lorraine. Yeah. I, they were amazing brake pads. And that's just something that I used on stainless stock discs for you know, on my Ducati. And I like those a lot. And I don't think they were centered. I'm pretty sure they were just all organic pads. And the same goes for PFC. Um, I'm pretty sure uh, performance friction. Yeah, PFC. Those those were performance friction brake pads, same deal. Super amount of, of bite and feel, but they wear so quickly, it just disappears the pad material. So you got to be careful. So it's, it's that finding that balance. And I said that in the article I wrote. I don't envy anybody that has to come up with this recipe. And I think they did a pretty good job because I, I felt it was okay. For street, I'm sure all day long it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. oh, all day yeah. long. But if you're doing track days, first thing I'd do is, is, is get a, a a master cylinder that is different. I would probably just immediately go for maybe even just a Brembo that comes on an R1 or R6. Because that was the that used to be the trick. You'd get R6 calipers and put them on a GSX-R1000. That was the only thing you had to do to a 2005 GSXR 1000 that everybody knew was like the best bike for ten years it was to to put calipers and and maybe even a master from another bike to make it work. Same goes for this, I guess that would that would be the thing. Um, I, I, for me, they just felt weird at and it was intermittent. Uh, every once in a while, going up the hill at Austin, it would have this strange vibration just going up the hill to turn one. Yeah. yeah, um, it would have a weird vibration, and it it wasn't like a a vibration like a a normal pulsing of the rotor or uh, a deposition point or a hot spot it just felt funky and then it would be fine at the next one which intermittency is is a strange thing but it would keep braking hard I, can't, I still kept i never pushed the limit to the point where i didn't feel i had brakes any longer which is a pretty good indication especially i was on the same bike the whole day and i was i was getting faster and faster as the day went on especially once i, I dealt with the gearing and then once i i swapped from mode a which is the yeah. quote-unquote fast mode to yeah. mode B. Yeah. When I when I heard that you had gone to mode B, I asked one of the engineers, and I can't remember his name. I think it was Ken. I was like, hey, can you tell me, give me a little bit of a lowdown on what exactly has changed between mode A and mo- mode B? And once he downloaded me, kind of, I mean, he didn't explain it exactly well, but it sounded like the normal thing when you change modes is that when you request torque from the throttle, you might not get all of it in that mode. Whereas in mode A, you're almost one to one. If you open it a quarter, it's going to give you, you know, a perception of a quarter of amount of throttle. Whereas if you open it a quarter in mode B, it might give you an eighth and then slowly ramp to a quarter, right? Or not slowly, but you know what I mean, give it, So that was what I got the impression of. Okay, screw it, I'm just going to try it. I tried it. Immediately faster, immediately more comfortable, stoked. Again, that's probably my Relative experience, recent experience. I'm not that comfortable. I wasn't. Got found comfortable. No, I don't know if that's it. To be honest, because because I, I had the same struggle where I thought Map
1: A was way too abrupt, way too lurchy, and it just it just upset the bike too much. It upset the chassis. It upset me. I, like it, it would <laughs> he be was in tears. You should. Well, seen that's it. the same, Because like some bikes, like you know the the Map A, like I want like the Map Z or whatever. I, I got to go back through the alphabet. We got to loop around because it's it's still not enough. You know, jam from when I give it the the beans on the on the throttle. Um, I think Map A was too much. They they could soften that a little bit more, and then make Map B a little bit softer, and have some sort of something in between. Yeah, sure. To, it's a to, classic to slow down.
0: You'll go faster scenario. Yeah. Which is weird, right? Most people don't know. Oh, well I want all the power all and I'll modulate it cause I'm a man and I can do that. Oh, give my me a break. Controls my right Yeah, wrist. Shut up. All right. So, control. so this was a, a proof positive object lesson in that's a bunch of bullshit. Try the fact that they have a mode is kudos to, to well all anybody that's making these algorithms were like, Hey, we have a, a ride by wire system. Yeah. Um, Yes. Which, is, which is new for them. It is new for them. That's another thing you got to comment. This is interesting. Uh, early Ducatis, early, I think everybody with, with uh, uh, ride-by-wire systems had a throttle with cables that ran to a rheostat right. that would then regulate, that that would then tell the ECU this is what the rider is asking for. And R1s, R6s, most of the Ducatis, etc. Eventually, they go to a thing where the rheostat or the potentiometer is based in the throttle itself, but it makes the throttle super expensive. And that throttle is a very often crashed piece of a bike. So Suzuki straight up said, we made it so that it's still like a normal throttle. The cables go down to the actuator down here or whatever you call it, the potentiometer. And we're doing that straight up because it's a more raceable or track dayable situation if you have to have a tip over, which I thought was like great. They're straight up admitting it. They weren't doing it for feel because the it's been proven time and again that the throttles feel fine on most bikes um Piper Motard's notwithstanding but seriously think of all the other bikes that are out there including what we rode the next day the Aprilia fucking great throttle feel great feel right. and it had the opposite right they had sw- I think they had done the exact opposite thing they even took it a step
1: further all of it was inside the 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 throttle tube all, all the all the magic so it was just electric cable going out yeah, yeah. Look at your notes. We'll talk about it. My notes. We'll talk about it in the next show. My notes. My show notes. notes. My notes.
0: Show notes. Are you silly? You fucking send it.
1: But no, you're, you're, you're right. And, and they did a good job, I think, with the ride by wire and in that regard. And, you know, you have to give Suzuki credit for that in the sense that this is, I won't say it's a technology they're not familiar with, but it's, it's a technology that they haven't used in a production superbike use case scenario ever before. So to get it right the first time out of the gate is very difficult to do. And I, I give them like a B plus A minus on it. It was pretty good. Um, I, I think they could have, there could have been some more diversity in the maps. The C map was totally a street map. The B map was kind of what I would use on the track. I don't know who's using that A map. I, I guess you'd have to just be kind of a wild child kind of person with your, or just really smooth with your throttle hand. Um, to be into that, I could use
0: something somewhere in between as an option. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. But it was easy enough to switch between modes. It was clear enough on the dash. If you're talking, if you're picking, nits about how it worked. The cockpit was great. The controls felt great. I never had to adjust the the brake or or, or shift lever other than to do GP shift. the The cockpit in, in general for rider seat, where your legs went, everything was really good. Wind protection was good. The bikes look good. I, I mean, I know that's completely. Subjective, but hell, I mean, sometimes these bikes nowadays are really ugly, right? So, this one's smooth and easy to look at, it looks timeless, it looks like it'll look good 20 years from now. It looks like a jigsaw, yeah, I mean, and it, it does, it does, it has a heritage look to it, which I think is great, yeah.
1: I think the one complaint people had about the looks was the exhaust can, but what I think they're not realizing is the most common thing modified is the muffler, and so by putting all the Euro 4 EPA goodness into this big exhaust can when you take it off and put on your slip on or replace it with your full exhaust all gone. you're gonna find power and it's gonna be good yeah, there, and you're there, was gonna lose there was a trend there was a trend
0: where they would people were putting or manufacturers were putting all of the I don't know mo- all the bad parts of the exhaust in a like a in an intermediary box underneath like a the bike secondary bikes. chamber like yeah. intermediary chamber trying yeah. to trying to get the weight low and Right, they're 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 trying to engineer it. Well, I get that. that and I eh, now we're starting to see where it's like, screw it, we're we're all going to get it done here. And we, those who are going to change it are going to freaking change it, and they're going to lose twenty pounds probably. That's my guess. And it's going to be gone. And all you have to do is do some ECU updates, and you're set.
1: And and truth be told, you'll probably find some power by putting a slip on on the yeah. bike, which wasn't really the case in the past.
0: No, and the headers on this are rad, and they have that really cool valve system in them that mimics like. I don't know what you call that, like an organ, like a pipe. Well, organ. Well, it is a pipe. Well, all all exhaust tuning is like a pipe organ, all of it, right? So this in this case, they're adding an adjustability of tuning between the number one and number four cylinders and number two and number three, where these valves open and close, um, you know, a, as per rev range, which is really cool. Looked like a good system, a, a great way to 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 change the um, or to to modify the volumes in that in that pipe organ, if you will. Um, I forget what acronym they had for it, but anyway, that's a, that's a good thing. And it's probably worth sticking. And I guarantee you, uh, some of the race teams that, that, um, might be, uh, not, not sponsored by a full exhaust system would just continue to use it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what, what you've
0: said that I want to fill in the gaps because you, you got through. A I lot. got one more thing, which would be suspension. Didn't have yeah. to run a clicker, dude. I mean, I know I wasn't going that fast, but I didn't even have to touch a clicker. No. I weigh 175 pounds, so 20 pounds of leathers, right? Isn't that generally leathers and gloves and boots and stuff? So as a 175, 180-ish pound person, um, perfect, man. I mean, the the brake, the feel, like I was talking, complaining about the brake feel sometimes. Most of the time, was fantastic. Uh, full disclosure, we were on... Bridgestone Bridgestone's R10, R10 S. S, which is the super sport race tire so version of what they come stock so with. So that is, yeah.
1: So they come with the S10 Bridgestone for the
0: street, I believe. The Bridgestone oh, isn't that R a
1: Chevy and S10? Like the one that like
0: sideswiped your car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to talk about let's that. Let's not talk about that. That just makes me sad. Although the cops showed up to their house. So that's a good, that's a good Dude, story. Dude, like, I, this is worth telling the people. You all know, right, like you get to right. know, get to how know how Quentin and Jensen, right? <laughs> I come out. I had parked the car at like I don't know, twelve maybe one. Let's be fair. I told you not to park there. No, for sure. I already knew. My sweet van got sideswiped barely, but it got sideswiped months ago, and I was like, uh, and it was in the daytime. We we live next to a bar, the wonderful Lutz Tavern, which is awesome. Good old we call it the sluts, so it's it's good, I think. But the patrons of it and the other local eateries and or drinkeries. Are fucking awful, and uh, you know, two sideswipes within a four month period. Middle fingers in the air for everybody yeah. that goes to them. So I anyway, get,
1: I hear one every week. Give, uh, so I,
0: anyway, I park yeah. my car on the right on the side, and I was like, "Oh, I'm just going in for a few hours." Sure enough, I go out at six, like hours later, middle of the day on a Saturday, my car's been sideswiped. There I am thinking, "Well, I'm screwed." Note on my in under my my uh, windshield wiper. Yeah. I was like, "Oh wow, that's weird." So I I I I can't believe somebody that would sideswipe my car would actually leave a note. Look at it I was like, sorry about your car. I watched the guy run into it and I was like, huh? I was like, I called the cops. Uh, here's the license plate, and <laughs> I was like, "What?" So you so, can't get
1: too mad about no, the patrons no. of the area because no, one them's doing you a solid.
0: May, maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe somebody that was at Lutz was was the one that saw this person. He was like, "The person was like, he was totally drunk, and then just left the name Tyler." So thanks, Tyler. So I I called the cops, and the next morning they came out, found the car, found a Chevy S10, like in the description with with. Um, damage that was congruent with the damage on my car and impounded the fucker, <laughs>
1: which is right. I mean, you, part you, of, you left out the best part. The dude didn't have a license because he had been caught drunk driving or something. Well, he
0: didn't have, there was no license or insurance. So, I mean, yeah. I and I assumed that that was going to be the case. So the yeah. cop immediately is like, well, sorry about that. But there is that little bit of Schadenfreude that at least. At least the shit got impounded. Cause you know what?
1: That's not shot for man. That's just karma.
0: That's yeah. just straight
1: up like n- call I it guess. Karma, if you want.
0: But people make mistakes, and I would like to think that uh, no, no, if no, no, I no. if I would tag somebody's car, that I would leave a note no, 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 no. or something like no, no, that. No, no. But no, people people
1: ma- people make mistakes, but that does not apply when you drink too much and get in a vehicle. You're not making a mistake. You're being an asshole, and you ended up sideswiping someone. And I do not give one iota of a shit to whatever happens to you after that. Yeah, fair enough. You I committed mean, a dan- you you could have killed someone. That
0: was that was what was brought up to me uh, by multiple people. It was like, you know what? That person's lucky that they didn't kill somebody because it could have been somebody in between uh the car and them or something, you know, whatever. Absolutely, you're right. And I don't don't mean to downplay it. It's for sure awful. But I'm also uh, I I kind of have empathy for people may you never I guess I my my imagination goes wild thinking about what that poor person don't uh, care. Yeah. Don't care. They
1: they're getting off easy. Whatever happens to them, they're getting off easy right. compared to what they They didn't get busted could for have drunk been. driving. Absolutely.
0: So in this case, um, that happened. Anyway. So I don't know why we're bringing that up in the Jixxer story. What did we I lost did we, the
1: thread? Yeah, I totally lost the thread. Let's let's just move on like that was a total normal story to that's have at an this aside, point in
0: time. Right? That's an aside,
1: <laughs> right? So so I had a pretty good experience getting on the Jixxer for the first time too. And I haven't ridden a Jixxer in a while. But I will say one of the things that shocked me or caught my attention right off the bat was like my first proper lap going through the s's like turn three turn four um
0: which is super high speed and takes a lot of effort i was already dragging my knees and i was
1: just like like i wasn't even like in that zone yet in my head i was like i've been i've been dakota before i've been on some bikes already this year so i was feeling pretty good but i was like I knew this track 20 turns, especially the S's. They're kind of blind entries. You have to get the first, you have to get turn three right to get turn four right to get turn five right to get turn six right. You get any of those yeah, wrong too. and you're offline and you got to, yep. it's a whole thing. So I'm already just kind of like, all right, where's my markers? I kind of remember what's going on. And before and I'm like, Oh, hey, oh, I'm dragging a knee. That's how comfortable I was right off the bat with this bike. And it, you know, they were talking about the, the riding triangle is almost identical to the previous generation Jixer. And you just kind of get on it and it feels like an old friend. Um, by the way, I just remember why we talked about this and it was the tires. And that was the segue. The S10 tire. We were, we were tired. No, the, yeah. But I, just, just to loop back real quick, the, the tires we were on were Bridgestone R10S, which is a version of the R10 tire made specifically for the Jixon One Thousand. Just won't put that out in the
0: ether. Oh, so it is, made. It's like it, not necessarily bespoke, but they said, "All right, we're going to make a tire for this, and usually, then that will be our new super sport tire."
1: Yeah, you, no, no. The R10 is the same tire. It's the same model tire as what I did the R6 launch on. Uh, I when going. I
0: met, when I say super sport, I guess I should have said, "Well, this is what we're going to make for our normal." Tr- uh i don't know sport bike tires i think though i think this is different
1: than what you're going to go buy i I gotta double check this but i I think this is a different tire than what you would buy from your local bridgestone tire guy okay or gal um person person. tire Tire peddler tire tire monger tire monger that's good yeah yeah yeah. so uh because usually with these these kind of spec tires because it's an r10s yeah. It's got a little bit less rubber, so it's less weight. Yeah, sure. That's, That's usually cool. the game they play. Uh, I want to I say like the Dunlop 218 was the tire that came on my R1 and you could not buy one to save your life because it was a version of like the 208 or whatever, but it had like almost no rubber on it. So they only lasted like a thousand miles because they could weigh like two pounds less than
0: that. Yeah, you know? it was needed in that that's Well, it, it
1: makes the bike lighter. It makes the handling better. Yeah, sure. They're playing that whole game. So it was interesting when they said that. I was like, oh, okay, so you guys are playing the tire game. I got gotcha.
0: you. Well, and it worked. So but, I- they, but they worked. They're a good tire. But um, where was I going with it? Breaking, maybe suspension. I we've got we've tangented it a few times yeah, here. The, I yeah, I, would, I would agree with you. The suspension's really good, and that's kind of one of the things
1: I think that is really interesting between the base model Jickers and the GSXR one thousand R, the higher spec version where you're, you're gonna pay more for the yeah. the, 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 the better show of suspension. It, and they
0: called it something. What was it like
1: oh, <sighs> balance? Oh, you, oh the difference between the two. No, they the called call it like the balance suspension. They kept calling it balance free forks and balance free. Rear shock,
0: which I don't know what that means, and we probably are remiss for not being able to go into deep detail. But we didn't ride that bike, so sorry. we weren't invited to Australia, so we don't get to know. Yeah, but well, but here's what I will say: is the big piston fork, which is a, a known quantity now after having been out in the market for a few years. The show a big piston fork, which is a very specific style of. Of structure worked phenomenally and the shock felt great. Yeah. And I did a full day and it was probably, it started the day 65 degrees, probably ended the day 82. Yeah. And we rode all the way to the end that day and it.
1: No fade, no no issues, no wallows, no
0: doing anything, nothing, nothing weird. And I did a lot of trying to ride it in different manners. So I would do a lot of threshold braking, getting all the braking done. And then tipping the bike in, and then I would do a lot of trail braking because those those all those bus stops had different feels uh, as far as what you could do for the exit. So I was trying to do some trail braking, but I was seriously reticent because that's where I tend to crash bikes. I will trail brake like a beast, and then I will tuck the front over and over and over. So I did not want that to happen, and I was I was just kind of have to be very careful about it. So I did both, and it felt fantastic both ways, and it was great. So I, I can't fault that. And the the rubber certainly helped. Um, but, you know, that's kind of equalizing it. I don't mind when they put race rubber on because it needed to function through the day. So heat cycles, et cetera, et cetera.
1: No, no, I don't fault them at all for, for putting the rubber on. That's the kind of rubber you're going to put on when you go do a track day. No, no issues. Same manufacturer. No, nah, that, that, that gets a pass in my book. What What is interesting is the, I will say one of my complaints, and, and this is kind of a weird one is the electronics and this is this is kind of goes back to um what i was talking about with the brakes where you you've got the right logo on the brake caliper and you've got the right like kind of look on the the rotors but you don't quite have the substance i feel like it's the same case with the electronics where you've got the six axis six axis imu and you got all the whiz bang you got the traction control and there's so much that this package can bring to you as a rider, but the only thing you can adjust are your three throttle maps and your, what was TC it? level. And your, and your traction control,
0: but it worked man. And it was good. It worked
1: and it was good, but there was no way to adjust like your wheelie control to separate out your wheelie control versus like your rear wheel lift. We, we weren't on that, that model, but you, you know, if we were, you, you would have that you, feature. That would be locked in or uh, it would
0: be locked in per mode. I would assume. Right. You, and
1: that's the thing. So every time, like, so when you change traction control, you know, when you go from three to four or four to three, it's changing all those parameters for you to what some Suzuki engineer has figured out. And they've done a really good job of doing the maths and, and figuring that that out. But there's just – you've lost that granular kind of level of control that I think some other bikes have brought to the market. And it's kind of like I can go two ways on it. I can be like, hey, way to make a, a complex thing very simple for people is just try going from traction control three to traction control two. And it did the thing, the thing I wanted it to do. Yeah. But on the flip side, like you know, I feel like modern-day super bike riders are getting more into electronics and and having that yeah. be a part of their setup. And you've taken that away from them. And I just, I don't know. It, when I look at the price tag and I see fourteen six, I go, yeah, it feels like a fourteen six. Yeah, bike. they're dipping
0: their toes in that, and I don't, I don't think you can fault them for it. And I think we, time will tell. This market is hard, and I mean that's one of the reasons why it took so long for them to get there. I think they were like, oh, do we really want to? Well, no one no one took the recession harder than Suzuki. Yep. I mean like straight up. no bikes in 2010, none no they, new they bikes.
1: weren't they weren't making bikes. they straight weren't up. shipping bikes to dealers. Yeah. They, they literally just kind of shut down as a company for like almost a year and a half and now they're kind of coming out of the fog and they're starting to come out with some really cool stuff, so they're
0: going to be conservative and I don't blame them. and yeah. you know they're going to come out with a 14,600 bike for the masses and a, a lot of masses. Are gonna buy it? You would think, but dude, that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm a little weary of the thousand cc Japanese sport bike market in general. After having had to peddle them for a year, uh being a bike monger, if you will, um, used and dealing with. I mean, th- that w- those were the bikes that were strictly Verboten. No thousand cc Japanese, no open class Japanese bikes. Like if you see one coming through, we had to trade one in. Okay, but that's it. Trade ins fine. Don't go and buy them. Don't go to the auction for them. Don't do because yeah. they were so difficult to deal with and to sell. But I think that's the
1: issue because all the Japanese leader bikes have been the same for the better part of a decade. And when I mean the same, I mean like literally the same.
0: Yeah, but even a new R one. We we had a new R one in there. I mean, g- granted, it was at that time when there was that recall and we had to have that recall done to it. I remember it. that, but. I don't know. It wasn't like it was flying off the, the, I the floor. I don't know, man. I go to
1: the track days and I see a lot of R1s. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is the bike to, 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 oh, to, is,
0: is that the only place where people buy them or is like, where most street riders well, look at shit like it, this and say, do I really need that?
1: And that's the thing. And that's the thing that'll i be very curious to see. And I think that's kind of why me, myself, as like a track day kind of guy gets a little poopy about the fact that I can't, you know, go in and change my, my engine brake control and my rear wheel lift and my, my ABS settings. And because if you've my got slide 15 grand da, to da, da, burn, da, da. you might as well have 17 or 18 grand. Especially and especially if I'm, if I'm financing it like most people are. Yeah. And if I'm, and if that is the thing, if these bikes aren't selling on the street anymore, like they used to be, and they're, they're kind of becoming just toys for people that play on the track, then I do feel like Suzuki kind of missed the mark. And it was kind of interesting that, um, Suzuki Moto America uh, for their launch had a track day, and then the next day was a street day. You and I couldn't go to the street day because we had to go to the Aprilia launch. But there was a part of me that was just like, "Are you kidding me? Like, like who cares about how it rides on the street? Like, this is you, you. You built a bike with 200 horsepower and an IMU that can slide the rear wheel and not crash, and cornering ABS and you know variable valves. So I've got power in the mid range and power at the top. Tar- like you've made all these Choices to make this bike as fast as you can around a racetrack, that of course is going to be compromised for the street. So why would I? Why would I care about that? But like their mind's still kind of there, and maybe the point was to be like, hey, look how great of a
0: track bike we've made, and it's still good on the street. Yeah, and no, that I agree. I would agree with that fully because I I think they're. I mean, the vast majority of the people that are going to buy them There's, maybe yeah, are going to be street people. You can say, the especially, st- GSXRs, especially. G- especially GSXRs,
1: Ex- especially, especially Ex- GSXRs, especially. GSX, especially. <laughs> are you kidding me? No, yeah. But you could say the same thing about like a GS or a Ducati multistar. We're like, oh, this bike's designed to go, you know, safari in Africa. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but why are like 95% of them outside my Starbucks? It's it's aspirational. The aspiration is that this is the, the, the best bike to have to go around a, a racetrack. And I'm just like Tony Elias and Roger Lee Hayden and I'm winning the races. And that's the same bike that I've got.
0: I don't know. Well, man. I think there's a I lot of legacy know, to GSXRs that a lot of other because the the first true hardcore sport bike was the 1985 GXSR 750, right, right? Right. So that being said that that has created a legacy for Suzuki that I think transcends market. So they probably will sell a lot of these just on merit for being the the, the newest, latest, greatest GSXR, especially King King quote unquote. And they called it the the King, king of the sport, sport Bikes. bikes you know it's like why can't it be queen why can't it be queen right so that that for me was uh, well, no but that I was it was interesting seeing that I was like thinking about that relative oh you're gonna call it king, well right? they
1: well I think there's two things there right that's that's a moniker that they gave themselves you know 20 years ago yeah and two I think uh that's the old uh, old white guy problem of the motorcycle industry
0: yeah, yeah absolutely it's clear it's like and most people and there's probably a lot of listeners like oh you guys are picking nits it's like yeah you say that but we're just contributing to it. How many?
1: How many? What percentage of, of riders are, are Four, female?
0: Fourteen. What I, percentage I, of females do, in,
1: are in on the earth? Fifty. <laughs> well, even better, you go and you flip it around. Eighty percent of all motorcycle purchases are influenced by a woman in the house, well, wife or girlfriend, basically.
0: Really? Yeah. I've never, I've never heard that, but that doesn't surprise me at yeah. all.
1: Consum- most consumer discretionary income purchases are go through the woman of the house, just straight up. That's your television, that's your microwave, that's your telescope, that's your motorcycle. That's, that's American spending habits.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Uh, one thing I would I'd be interested to hear from our listeners is, did you name your motorcycle? And if so, did it take on, uh, was it genderized? is it have a female or a male name? You know, this is something I've always, often wondered, because most people have a tendency, I feel, to name objects after women. And I, you know, I don't, I mean,
1: I, I definitely, I don't really refer to my bikes by women's name, but they all kind of have like a woman's name. Yeah, I think that's not. I don't think, but think that's you, also, I'm not hacking
0: on anybody for it. I don't want to create. I don't want to yeah, say that that's. But evil. I think that's
1: a carryover. Like I, I come from sailboats. It's boats. Yeah, so it's sure. a
0: boating thing. But why is it? Then that's the question.
1: Is like where does that because come? Because the, the man's lonely on the sea, and he names his boat after his wife, so they're still yep. together. That's.
0: I mean, that's the romantic and because Hemingway kind of thing of it. In in, in the patriarchal world, we, it's always the man that's going out on the sea, right? It's called the little man in the sea for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Right, so the, no, you're talking about the little the man in the boat, right? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, J- Jensen's focusing. I gotta. He doesn't. Got to Google it. Little man in the sea. No, it's the old man in the sea. If isn't you're talking the about man the, Hemingway. the Hemingway, yeah, Did I fuck it up. You're thinking about the little man in the boat, which I don't think you understand what that is. That's something else, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's. Oh God, does and does it ever I'm a good time on is, a Friday night,
1: I'll tell you that is, though.
0: Is it ever appropriate for this conversation in a horrible way? Okay, so let's let's get out of this one, Quentin. Yeah, let's let's extract pull, ourselves pull, pull from it. But on I that. think it's an interesting topic, right? And I, I think it's of note. So the king of the sport bikes. Whatever. So I'll
1: ask you this. Do you feel like the Jigser is the king of the sport bikes? Maybe I know you haven't ridden the whole no, line. No, and no, we're we're nope. gonna try and get to that yeah, sometime nope. this summer.
0: Nope. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think it's good. I uh, think it's good. I don't, I would not ever say that without having written all of them, but I can tell you, I don't think it's the king. Yeah.
1: Um. I had an industry person that night ask me about it. Oh, what'd you think of the Jigsaw 1000? I was like, it's good. And they caught me on. They're like, uh, it's good. It's good. You say, all you say is it's good. It can't be that good if you say it's good. I'm like, no, it's good. It's good. It's just, hmm. I think, I feel like they came short. Like like you said, I like give it an eight. It's not a seven, it's definitely not a seven. It's a good bike. It's given it, it's a solid B. Sure. It does a I lot would
0: own one. I would plunk down money on it. Would you? If knowing knowing the, what else is out there. The the big deal is if I um didn't know what else is out there. Right? That's the issue. But that's, know, that's, that's, that's 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 the thing. That's the test, right? You can only
1: buy one, you're not I don't know.
0: Well, I would say in this case, if you said you if I'm gonna go street bike, it's a tough one. I think it would be a really good street bike. If you said you have to buy a 1000 cc and you're only going to be street, okay. If you're going to do track days and that's all you're going to use, you got to have it for 5 years, I definitely would buy that over pretty much anything else. I think the Yamaha would probably be close. I'd be curious about the Kawasaki. The Honda probably not, but that would the Honda would be the closest one just from a reliability uh, standpoint, right? But the Suzuki, I know damn well. There's going to be parts galore. I know I'm going to be able to take that bike, the $14,600 one, get a quick shifter. Shoot, I'd go get a bazazz system that does the up-down blip shift because I'm pretty sure they're going to have it. I'd have that set up immediately. And once I had that and maybe an exhaust, maybe, I say maybe because I'm not really keen on loud exhaust much anymore, but that would probably cut a bunch of weight. I'd put a better brake system on it somehow. And then really, I mean, how much deep in the hole would I be to get to the R version? And if the R version doesn't have lightweight wheels, I don't want it. There's nothing for, for me, I feel like that, that's another thing. I feel
1: like Suzuki missed the boat on the R version. There's nothing there that's making me jump. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to go spend an extra $2,400. <sighs> yeah. That's a you lot know? of money. Think about that's, what I could do with $2,400 for, for suspension that's, you know, better but i'm not noticing the difference on the track um for i mean it does have the quick shifter and it does yeah. have the cornering abs so i'm yeah. kind of like okay launch control i don't really care about um
0: because i'm not racing yeah but if i'm track day enthusiast, most of them and i and i'm this speaking of my do i care about abs uh, i not yet i don't but i i could see where it'd be a selling thing but eh. I, I would want to see how their cornering abs system works on the track fair I enough mean,
1: not had the chance to run it, but i'm still kind of sitting there going like you're not giving me a lot for, like I think if you have thrown in forged wheels, yeah, and maybe um, some carbon fiber bits or something—I don't know,
0: like anything to differentiate it—tickle
1: like, it. me a little bit. Give me, yeah. give me excitement.
0: Magnesium, this or magne- something to make it lighter, noticeably lighter. Or noticeably better. I mean, the suspension, I'm sure, is great. But I, I, dude, if that suspension wasn't so good as it was, that's what I'm saying. I would put, put the money just towards gotten
1: like some like leaf springs from an old truck and just called it even, and then be like, oh yeah, totally going to get the the R model now, or put a rotary damper on it. Hey <clears> now, <throat> hey now. <clears throat> That's- Time's gonna tell on that rotary damper thing. All right. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah.
0: I think time has spoken. Yeah, unfortunately, time threw it so, in the trash can and so then we shat should, on it. <laughs> we should
1: we should tell our listeners what that's about. So the chief engineer for Suzuki's sport bike lineup, um, Sahara San, was the chief engineer for the TL one thousand, a bike that is near and dear to my heart, and one of the things um, with the TLs and the TLR was it that it had this rotary damper shock
0: and with a separate unit with a spring didn't really work so well it was really known for being yeah. horrible right and, and, and the bigger issue was
1: like they would just they would have a lot of heat fade you know so like they started out good and then like a couple laps around a track and that thing like you just lost all your dampening. you were just back to having only spring your spring um And that was one of the things that they had some issues with in the World Superbike series. It was interesting talking to him about that design. He was like, you know, with enough time and enough development, we could have gotten this to work. And we just,
0: you know, the company wanted to focus back on the, the inline four lineup. But, um, yeah. So that means I'm going to talk a little smack about it. I think it's actually a a really neat solution to the problem, but if it, it just wasn't, wasn't done very well. Just wasn't
1: fully baked. Wasn't fully baked out of the oven. Um, which is kind of how I feel sometimes about the Gixxer, but I'm being a little poopy when I say that. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I see this bike selling really well. I think this bike's gonna sell really well with the street bike crowd, like you mentioned. Yeah. That they just, all they care about is making sure the right name is on the brake caliper, that the right little thing is there, that it has the 200 horsepower, you know, check that box. It's yeah. got the IMU, check that box, all, you know, all the cool electronic stuff. It does all the electronic stuff. You can't change any of it. But you know it has it all. It, it's got it there. Check that box, and you know,
0: and it has the big Suzuki emblazoned on the side, like the MotoGP bike. So, it looks just yeah. like the GP bike with the paint job, and
1: you can roll up to your local bike night and be the dude. And it'll do the wheelies, and it'll do all the fun stuff, and it's still a good bike. Yeah, sure. So it's not like you're like making compromises, or really. it's still a good bike, and it's the cheapest bike in the lineup.
0: And that's why and it I would draw that's, me to that's it. The part of it that's what I draw me to it. I mean. The R1's fine. I, I hate the way they look enough to where I'd be like, no, I'd rather have the GSXR. I know it doesn't have that awesome cross engine. Okay, fair enough. It doesn't have the cool sound, but it had, still has a good sound. And if I could drop a certain amount of money on it get it financed with that quick shifter system and, and exhaust and maybe sus- some suspension tuning or maybe some wheels... I'd be track day, track day, track day. And as an instructor, that would be the weapon because then you know it would just go and go and go right. and go. It and it is, go. it is. I have no doubts about its reliability. I have no doubts
1: about there being a boat ton of parts that are going to be available. There's going to be a metric shit ton of crashed ones with cheap eBay yep. parts all over for all it because time. skippies are going to sure. come. Yep. So you know, you're you're right on a lot of those things. I still come back to though for for what. Let's let's talk about in reality like what's my what's my payment going to be for my like 180 dollars a month payment? I would probably pay 185 to have something different.
0: All right, fair enough. Um, one extra thing we should talk about that I just remembered thinking about the race bike part of it was I at the end of the day rode with Chris Ulrich. Oh yeah, on the two-up bike that he has. So it's it's the Road Racing World or Team I think, Hammer. I think it's a Dunlop sponsored thing this year. Straight up, Dunlop is is when you go to one of these uh, uh, Moto America races. He Chris is giving two-up rides. I believe it almost all goes to the Air Fence Fund. You you buy. He's that's, he's giving special that's rides the Road
1: to, Racing World Action Fund which sponsors right, which is the, the, air which is the Air Fence for all the racing,
0: which is an amazing thing
1: yeah. and well worth it. Oh, oh, before you get farther. So here's a way that you can support this charity. I just found this out the other day and I'm doing it. If you buy stuff on Amazon, you can set up Amazon so a percentage of your purchases go towards recognized nonprofit charities. Huh. The Road Racing World Action Fund is one of those charities that you can select. That is super rad. And so you have I think it's smile.amazon.com. I think you can find it other ways, but that's I know for sure that'll work. And you go and you just gotta I think you just gotta type it in and it'll pop up. But super easy way, especially if you're one of those people like that just buys stuff on Amazon all day long instead of going to like the grocery store or whatever. Super easy way for you to give
0: back to our sport because it is a good uh, charity to support. If you don't know space. what AirFence is, it's these large sections of inflated I don't know bags that they place in dangerous areas on racetracks. It has saved a lot of people. I you can't you can't tell exactly right because you never know. Every time you've hit one, I would you know. say every time a rider hits an air
1: fence, you've probably either saved their life or saved them from grave bodily injury because yep. otherwise they're hitting tires,
0: which is. Stupid. and sometimes not even tires right they're placed in right. front of walls where there aren't right. tires so right this, this thing and this uh, is
1: something we talk about with kevin schwantz in a minute here with the the interview we do with him because yep. he talks about the safety yep. of, of yep. coda and he brings up that point that no only a couple bikes have ever reached the guardrails at, at coda but no rider has ever
0: reached them and that speaks to the safety of of the track yep totally well, so back to the Chris thing. So Chris Ulrich, yeah, someone that you. I've known for a long time in the industry. I don't know him that well. He is the son of John Ulrich, who is the uh, publisher and editor of Road, Road, Road Racing, World, Racing World, World, Magazine.
1: World Magazine. And I don't know if he's the principal of Team Hammer, but obviously was the, the,
0: instrumental in having that over the years. That, yeah, John, John for Hopkins, sure. all those people, all those writers that he's kind of picked throughout the years. Even yeah. Chuck Graves, somebody that I've worked for, rode for Team Hammer. Um, but the first time ever, interesting story, the first time I ever saw these names, when I was a kid, that was, this was prior to being in the, involved in motorcycling, I really loved cars a lot. I had a subscription to Sports Car International, which at the time, late 80s, early 90s, was a really good magazine. Big, glossy, well done, good articles. Somehow, way, Ulrich, would write a story about motorcycles every once in a while in one of these and that kind of piqued my interest with motorcycles. And one of them was an article about going mini bike racing with his son. And there's this picture, I don't I don't know if this magazine would exist any longer, but there's a picture of this cherub like little Chris Ulrich next to a bunch of YSR 50 body parts because he was racing mini bikes and that was one of the things that inspired me to eventually race mini bikes and then go to 125s was that they were they were big into that because at the time especially in the 90s there weren't that many people doing that and now we're back in the node where we need to get more people in the mini so it was of note that that was the first time I ever heard of them and it's strange to think about now that here I am 30 years later almost 20 sorry 20 years later almost riding on back with Chris, at coda on a gsxr 1000 a new one but it had the uh older bodywork on it i think because they just had to fit up something so that's what i was trying to that's what peaked my my or that triggered my brain was to think of oh these bikes are gonna there's gonna be bodywork and aftermarket parts everywhere and there already is because the aftermarket suits gsxrs because holy crap a lot of people race them so you're going to be able to get access to them quickly and they support that pretty quickly so i get on back with this and i'm i you know yeah, there's a little trepidation but I, I'm I'm kind of like I know how many laps Chris has done on this bike, and when Chris had me fill out the information, he said, "Oh yeah, you'll be number 990 something." I was like, holy crap! Think about this person giving 990 something rides on back. This will be a really good ride, and uh, and I know how to ride on back. Uh, having you know, a lot of people don't. It's it's of note. So I. I knew how it was going to f- work, where you have to grip the tank. He had special grips on the tank that come off the, the gas cap. Normal foot pegs, where they come stock, wasn't a very comfortable situation because of that. I think they, some of these two-up bikes have a little bit more of a cockpit uh, that is comfortable for someone. And frankly, most of the two-up rides are a little bit more tame, but Chris knew I'm a racer and did fast. he Did he send it? He fucking sent it. It was gnarly. Nothing, nothing extreme, but... I was already tired from the day. I mean, this is the first time I'd ridden in a very long time, notwithstanding not being on sport bikes for a while. I hadn't been on a track on six to nine months, right? So I'm already a bit weary, tired, hot, and I get on this thing, and I mean, we're talking arm pump. I, I was having a, a lot of trouble during these threshold braking events, keeping my arms from like letting go. Uh, it was really difficult. Um, I wanted him to just do an out and an in lap, just because I thought I was too tired. Uh, but I didn't say that, and he just he did two laps full. <sighs> uh, man, it was gnarly. It's worth the price of admission. I if if so if you said, hey, I wonder if that's worth doing. Hell yeah, it is. Absolutely, you will learn so much doing that. Just as a racer, as a rider, as a, as an enthusiast, you will learn so fucking much from that experience because you will see exactly how far off you might be as a rider i guarantee you when he took me around we were going faster than i was going solo as a track day enthusiast right yeah, yeah i am sure. not guaranteeing i mean it's close but it, i'm i bet it was faster and holy shit you it was see really fun. how much you're leaving still exactly because yeah. he's got 200 pounds of chris alrick and 200 pounds of quentin on holy crap and at the worst place possible on a vehicle high and then towards the back on a, on a motorcycle worst place possible and there i am Right, leaning over. I didn't get my knee down or anything, mainly because I couldn't. My, I was so so sore I could barely even like move. But I was able to lean correctly and get in. And we were going pretty freaking fast. It was a it was an amazing experience. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate that very much because right that was it was a lot of fun. And I, I again I recommend it to anybody that sees that. And if you can get yourself on board, for sure do it. Especially uh, if it's a Coda. Holy
1: crap! Yeah, I would I would definitely echo that sentiment. Although Chris offered it to me, and I was like, nope. 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 Middle fingers in the air. Nope. Nope. Because nope. you've done have, it before. Not, you understand it. I've never done it with Chris, but I've done it with Jason Pridmore three times, and I three once was enough. But everyone should do that once, like because yeah. like everything you just said is absolutely true. You don't realize how far you can push and how slow you probably are until you see what someone else can do with you on the back. It, it's pretty astounding, and it is a it is a cool experience, and it also kind of I don't think a lot of. um men on motorcycles have ever experienced what it's like to be a passenger yeah sure. and for me to put a lot of things in perspective like now when i have someone on the back of the bike i have a better understanding of yep what that's like for them sure and why maybe they don't like it or don't like it at first and it's the thing because for me the loss of control is huge and being on the back of a bike when someone's going into the brain and you're like uh, uh brake, nope the brake markers back there uh, 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 what are we doing what are yeah. we doing uh very very uncomfortable for me um but, but a good experience to have in my pocket to pull from. So I would, I would definitely agree. If you can, if you can finagle a ride with Chris Ulrich or Jason Pridmore, or, and if you can get behind on, on Randy Momola when he does it with the two up on the Ducati, you're going to have, you're going to have a ride of your life. No, like no puns intended. Uh, Quentin, we should probably get out of this and take a break for a little advertisement. And then when we get back, we should do the interview with Kevin Schwantz. Right on. So, Quinn, I'm I'm pretty sure I got emailed some some talking points for this for this ad, but I think I'm going to go rogue and go with a different direction on this because you got kitted out for some gear for our press launches in our time at Coda. You got to use it for the for the press launches with Suzuki and Aprilia. And you were quite smitten. Like, this is, like, unsolicited. Like, we're yeah. not, like, you know, sketchy milkman. You got off the bike and you are like, this, this stuff is rad. So, so, tell me about what you got and, and,
0: and your experience with it. We're going to have to come back to sketchy milkman. I want to know what that means. <laughs> yeah, we had a weird neighborhood growing up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Got, I'm sorry, but I've got to bring that up. <laughs> All right. So, yes, I have race leathers that are usually beat up and I have them emblazoned with Ducati. Why, why, why are they, why are they right. beat up? I crash, Where? I crashed them. Are you a crasher? And the one, the, the the only good set that looks semi-decent has Ducati all over it. And it would be, Cause I that's think, the
1: one you've crashed in the least. Let's just preface this. Right. It, the least. Because <laughs> those,
0: those are the newest ones. Right. right? So, um, <laughs> that I, I, I'm going to a press launch, getting invited, having the privilege to go to these press launches. Like, dude, I'm going to have to buy a suit. Um, uh, or, or or somehow some way procure a suit that is not branded with another manufacturer. So we can do this. And you brought up, hey, I know some people. Let's let's see what we, we can do.
1: We got a we got a guy.
0: And we got a guy. And a gal. And holy crap, did they come through? So I was able to get a uh Danese um, Laguna Seca suit and and we fitted it really well because in the past I'd always used a fifty-two and I thought, Oh, well, I'm a fifty-two because I'm an average build. Well, this ended up being a one oh four, which is a A long, a 52 long. And holy crap, did that make all the difference in the world? I don't know. The fact that there is off-the-rack suits that are that different where I, okay, this fits way better, like notably better than a normal off-the-rack 52, which is a standard like Euro size, right? So first off, that was rad. Um, second off using the boots, the Dainese, uh, boots. I'm, I can't remember the, the
1: I forget what model you have the ends though. That that was the the neat thing.
0: Yeah. I up to this point had been running boots that are outside of the leathers and they're usually super clunky, difficult to manage. And frankly, I think look goofy. I think they're the torque in boots. Torque uh, in? Yeah, the Well, torque.
1: They're called torque. They're the torque boot, and then there's a torque in and a torque out. Uh, this, you had the
0: torque ins because they go into the leathers. Into the leathers. So this was my first experience with that. And holy crap, did it work well. It's cool, right? It was so comfortable. And there's velcro in the leathers that velcro to the top of the boot, so it just stays.
1: I don't know why anyone would want a boot on the outside of the leathers after doing this. And, and then the
0: boots are light and small and but, not, but not close super structural. Nah. So that was neat. Yeah. I was pretty stoked by that. Um, the gloves, which were gnarly and with titanium and stuff and, and set in them. And that was really cool. Dainese gloves that were pretty rad. And they broke in. And all this stuff broke in. Like, like it was almost like it didn't need to be broken. I did a street ride. Uh, a couple few hours with the gloves on because that actually can be really problematic. If I you get to thing. a track yeah. and your gloves aren't broken, you will have issues. And I still that I, I you still takes it takes like super getting sweaty and gnarly to get them really fit to you. There's only that's the only way it happens. Sure, um, but you definitely still, can't judge a pair of gloves on your first wearing of them. Nope, you gotta, you gotta run them like like a week. You gotta run them. So yeah. I did and was great. And then the AGV helmet, which was s- really good, like surprisingly good. Uh, you were I, in the Corsa R, I believe. And that was, are you kidding me? This is amazing, right? So I uh, was pretty stoked by all of the gear, every single thing, because I got immediately comfortable, didn't have any issue, back protector, chest protector, right in, no issue, uh, ambulatory all the way, all the feelings, all the, all the goods. It was really cool. And then the helmet was very slippery, and you could you could tell um, after wearing d- other different helmet manufacturers for a long time, it was amazing how aero, um, that helmet was and great feeling. And then with the, um, the pin lock on the screen was also pretty cool too. So, um, all the gear, the fact that it all worked in synchronicity was of note and that it was all super comfy right off the bat. And it looked, of course it looked wicked, right?
1: And made your buck look pretty good. Yeah. I just want to bring it <laughs> up. Cause I just remember, I forget what bike you hopped off of but you were something like, "Dude, these leathers are rad. This was awesome," and it was the most unsolicited kind of thing you could you could possibly say about a yeah, product. And I sure. just want to make sure we shared it with everyone because it's like, you know, sit here, and it's like, "Yeah, okay, guess who's paying our lunch today?" But like, no, it's legit. They're paying for our lunch because we believe in the product. Yeah, for sure. So, so if 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 that compels you to go find out more, Dainese has corporate owned stores that are full of only Dainese and AGV gear. They're in San Francisco, Orange County, and Chicago. With stores coming in Orlando, uh, New York, and Los Angeles soon. So go there, and you'll find a store full of specialists in this gear. They'll get you fitted up, get you rock and rolling, just like they did with Quentin.
0: And the boots were really that the the, the left hand boot was made it really easy to put the kickstand up. Oh wow! Did it? <laughs> That's great.
1: <laughs> just ruin that ad. <laughs> All right, we're back. Uh, Quentin, just real quick, on top of riding the new 2017 Suzuki GSX-R1000, we had the ultimate pleasure of talking to Mr. Kevin Schwantz And riding
0: with Kevin. Like, yeah. So yeah. in the beginning, you were talking about how you, we were lead-out laps were with Kevin, and I didn't get behind him at that point. But some point in time in the middle of the day, I'm coming along and, and going quickly. I'm feeling good, and I approach a slower rider, and it's Kevin just cruising. So I get up to Kevin, and I'm like, what the the heck's he doing? I'm like, oh, I forgot. He's an instructor. He's been doing – he had the Kevin Schwantz Road Racing School for a long time. And he has his mirror and he's looking at me. So I approach him fast, but then I'm not about to try and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun. And I was, I was like, uh, I don't know. Does he want me to pass him? All right, well, I'll just follow him. And he and he immediately wakes it up because he sees me in his rearview mirror and I get a lap with Kevin, which was superb to, to see wh- where I was going fast and where I was going slow and how I was going. And it was really cool. Talk about a, I mean, there's not too many people I, I have idolized in racing. Uh, he's definitely one, I think, number one, because he's from Texas. Number two, because he's Kevin Schwanz. He's like the coolest of all of the racers. He seriously is very personable, very likable. When we sat down to talk with him, it was just like bullshitting with friends. That was really neat. Didn't surprise me one bit. I've been around him in the paddock a lot. I've been around him. I was in Japan with him many, many years ago. I never really connected with him in any way where he'd remember me but it was always like a, okay that guy's rad but i'm not going to bother him because how annoying is a starstruck fan right so to be able to get to the point where i could ride a gsxr 1000 behind about a, a track day at coda in texas with the texan oh my god it was rad as a texan or as a partial texan that i am that was a really cool thing so yeah it was re- really neat and then to be able to sit down and interview him was really cool
1: yeah yeah so we'll let you listen to that Uh, just before we're warned, we are literally in the pit box at Coda. So there's some bikes and stuff going by and they're still breaking down the MotoGP race behind us. So not, not quite studio quality, but but it's got a little patina for you to enjoy. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll let you do it. So Kevin, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I had a fun time this morning riding on the track with you or at circuit of the Americas, which is a place that's near and dear to your heart from what I understand it is. I, um, yeah, you know, well, I live 30 minutes from the track and had, uh, had
2: quite the involvement with it, getting the, the little bit to the design of the track, a little bit with the design of the track, and also a little bit with, um, probably more of my position was just trying to make sure that it stayed safe for two wheels. I, um, you know, anytime we, you make a corner, uh, they want to bring guardrail right up to the edge of the track because that's better and that's what the cars need and that's what the cars want. And every, all, all anybody's really concerned about is what F1 needs. But, we were able to work really closely with Charlie Whiting and the FIM to be able to get some exceptions made, uh, more paved runoff, some gravel near the barriers. But um, over the the past five years since MotoGP has been racing here, we've had bikes get to the barriers. We've yet to have a rider get to the barrier. That's great. So, um, you know, I think we did a great job with safety. Um, the the track here's weathering a little bit we've had some some really big rains the past couple of years there's a few bumps in real inopportune spots out there but um you know we know about it i think we've got a plan on what to do and how to fix it
1: well i think the circuit put on a great show this weekend for for moto gp and the fans enjoyed it and we saw some great racing so i, I hope that we see the the contract renewed and motor in america and all that good stuff
2: yeah i um i don 't know if i don 't know it for fact, but I, I think I heard that MotoGP has renewed their contract here right. um, so yeah the the attendance on Sunday was the largest u s crowd ever for MotoGP. so
0: pretty good and accomplishment and you 're saying that spanning all the different tracks
2: yes wow Indy, Lagoon everywhere Wow
0: well, you know tell you all about the bumps and we're uh, Jensen and I are getting the opportunity to ride here jensen 's been here before on a different machine. I had never been here before, even though i 'm from college station uh so i i've been itching to get here for a long time i i noticed the bumps sure i don't know it gives a little character i didn't really consider any of it dangerous but i've also ridden on a lot of crappy tracks over the days right so yeah our standards might be slightly different than for than sure gp well, yeah. you just
2: said college Station. Uh, <laughs> maybe one of the the dodgiest tracks that there is but we used to have sure have fun racing there uh, Texas world
0: right yeah. yeah for sure and i never got a chance the irony is that i left ended up racing in socal never got a chance and then when it was closing down or whatever recently i was like oh well there went my chance but I, i'm kind of trying to figure out a way because my parents still live there i'm like all right i got to get away to get down there and go on just ride the track because i grew up watching I think there, they're right? having another big endurance race uh, and i forget
2: what what the actual date is but yeah for sure i think there's there's at least one race scheduled there this year as
0: well uh have you been involved with any race school at any point in time in the in the recent? Uh, it, how long has it been since the the Schwant school stopped? We stopped school in 2013. And was that uh, economy related, or were you just tired of doing it?
2: No, it was more economy econ, economy related than it was anything. You know, we uh, we had great support from Suzuki for the first 10 years of our school, and things turned a little bit funny in '08, nine. We started to feel the kind of the, the, the pushback from that. Uh, maybe not as much budget this year. This year for school. Oh, maybe not as many motorcycles. And uh, a, at one point, they they cut me back to no money and half the bikes that we'd ever had. And I'm like, I was like, I I can't have a school with that many motorcycles. I want I want a school where you're going to learn. I'm not going to send 40 guys out with uh, one instructor.
1: Especially when it has your name on.
2: it. Yeah, you know, and and, and I've always tried to, to to make sure that it wasn't. Related to racing, yeah, we teach it at racetracks, but that's the two and a half miles or 3.4 miles of of road that we can control, and I can teach you without you having to worry about anything else, you know, dogs, people, cars, any of that. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, Do you miss it, and would you like to get back into it, or have you had your fill?
2: absolutely i I, I, you know the opportunity to to ride with you guys uh some of the some of the guys who 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 are struggling a little bit getting out there letting them follow me around talking to them about what i see them doing i i I still love the opportunity to try and make motorcycling more enjoyable for for the entire public out
0: there any consumer that might want to have one for sure and it's great to be to i was i came up on you you were slowing it down. i didn't know who it was i'm like somebody's really pooching it i'm like oh that's kevin i'm like oh man crap all right, well, uh, this will be interesting. I want to mm-hmm. see. Uh, and sure enough, you just ease. It was interesting to see. And having been a, a track instructor up in the Northwest myself, you used to riding with mirrors and gauging the pace. And I, I saw it doing, <laughs> you, you doing what you were doing, and I was like, oh, this is rad because you were just easing in. And you went way too fast a couple times, and I was just having to like, okay, don't, I, I don't need to to keep up, but boy do I really want to try and and figure out what that line is and watch where you're shifting. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one thing that's nice about riding these bikes without quick shifters. You can actually watch (laughs) where people are shifting, which was (laughs) really cool to be able to see. It definitely unsettles that bike. (laughs) No doubt, for sure. So anyway, I appreciate that and it was really cool to, to be able to I mean, that's a dream come true to be able to ride on the same track with you I don't remember when, you, when we did Ryuyo back 12 years ago were you, were you riding with us that day when we were doing it? It was GSX-R 750, do you remember that?
2: For some reason, I think I may have just hurt, had I, hurt myself I, yeah, and I wasn't don't think able you were riding, so yeah. this is
0: really cool to be able to do this for sure um, If uh, do, do you, Have you done track days or do you just get to ride uh, when Suzuki has events and stuff? And does that fill your cup? Or have you been doing any racing or have any plans for anything? No, I, I
2: did a vintage race last year in Australia at Eastern Creek. Um, what were you riding? A Manx. Oh, yeah. And I had a guy catching me from behind. Of course, I didn't know he was because I don't have a pit board. It's a six-lap race, so <laughs> whatever happens, happens. I was mixing it up with some of the class in front of me. I, da, da, da. Anyway, went over the hill at corporate and hit, went to hit the apex of, of the, the turn. And um, this guy had, I guess to look to to pass me there which is one of the most dangerous places on the track to try and do something especially if you don't quite pull it off and he he didn't quite have the room and when i got right back to the apex he was at the back wheel of my motorcycle and somehow on his bike found a way a a vintage bike so something in the same class as a manx he found enough front brake to flip the bike over the tail section of my motorcycle (laughs) never touching me wow
0: Right Never you, touching huh?
2: me. A broken arm, broken leg, bunch of broken ribs. 52-year-old man in the hospital, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't remember his name. Um, in the hospital, and what were we racing for? Yeah. A, a, you know, a, yeah. a trophy. Glory. It's glory. It's vintage racing glory. The guy who owned the bike came over and said, oh, did he hit you? Did he hit you? And I was like, did who hit? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> you
0: didn't even know what happened. Watch
2: this video. And I was like, he showed me the video, and I almost <laughs> threw up. It made me sick to my stomach, <laughs> sure. thinking... At that corner, going over the hill, around the corner, probably going 80 miles an hour, and it's still going away from you. So it would have been one of those, snap the bike sideways, may as well have thrown me off the top of that tent at 80 miles an hour. And I just thought, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, wanna, I, don't I, that, I love this. I still crave every, I mean, every minute that I'm out on the track, I, I, I love. But I don't want to have to, be looking back because you know the time. you're a
0: target and some you're right you are as the oh well i'm out on the track with the world champion oh, Look, he's, go- Kevin he's going slow yeah. in that yeah. corner i'm gonna get him They're right gonna
2: take <laughs> his world championship <laughs> away and give it to me i know yeah. it if i can beat yeah. him yeah. you know and it was the, the strange part about it is it was the fourth lap of a six-lap race yeah. i was like hold on we still had a third of the lap left yeah. plus two more yeah. if you were catching me you were catching me a half second lap wait and do it on the brakes going into the next corner or drive by me in a straight line or whatever i mean it wasn't the last lap the last turn and it sure wasn't a world championship
0: (laughs) (laughs) interesting machine though so anyway
2: i I was supposed to go to goodwood in, in september i think for the revival and race and i spent every day the rest of the time i was in australia and the whole rest of my Woken moments, trying to get over that, and think, you know what? I'm going to go to Goodwood. I can rate and I just the two days before I was Even supposed to leave, Goodwood I said, "Is
0: just a, a hill climb. You don't go no, with other no, people, no, no, right?" Goodwood Festival oh, Festival geez, is a yeah, hill climb. Sure. The Revival is okay. a team race. Now, yeah, okay. Got and it, I just,
2: I, 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 two days before, I called Marnie and said, "Hey, I said, you know what? I, I, I can't do it." She said, "What do you mean?" I said, "This, you know, I've been, this has been in my head, and I can't, I can't get it out." I said, "I just." Call him. Tell him. Tell. Tell Lord March. I'm sorry, uh, to to have left him looking for a rider this late, this late before the event. This close to the event, but my 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 heart's just not in it anymore.
0: You still ride in trials? Absolutely. A, a lot or
2: not a lot? I whenever you can. Two gas, gas, and an OSA in the garage. Do you? And there's a uh, there's
0: a bunch of riding areas in the central We actually Texas? Have, we actually
2: have a motorcycle park. As a crow flies from my house, it co- it couldn't be two miles away. It takes me 20 minutes to get there because I get down the lake, across the lake, back down, <laughs> come back.
0: So you go off-road the whole? You take your gas, gas? No, no. I put. It, I got to put it in the truck to get there. Got it because you have to go around. All right, fair yeah. enough. Yeah, I'd seen you. Yeah, I think it was a. What's the thing in Lukanbach every year? There's yeah, a, well, they do. A, they do. A, a,
2: it's a big vintage motorcycle exactly. show. And they do. A, they do a trials event there. Some guys ride old stuff. Some sure. guys ride modern stuff. And that's
0: what I, you're on all the. Things I like. You have in I mind. like
2: riding old style sections on modern stuff. <laughs> um, you know, it's this hopping and this jumping and this bouncing the bike to get it. to, You know, the, the trials. Trials nowadays, you go off a big rock ledge. You get to the bottom and you, there's a barrier and you've got to... T- t- you got to turn the bike 180 degrees yeah. by hopping.
0: You can't. You, you, there's not enough room to make no. the turn. You sure. just. So you have to be balancing and, and hopping and making. And then if you dab, you get points down. Yeah, right?
2: and, and I'm not much on the hopping side of things, so <laughs> that's why I like the old layouts where it's it's keep forward progress rolling the whole time. You you can stop with the clutch, but you're not allowed to you're not allowed to hop the bike at all so.
0: so that fills your cup a little bit to get on a motorcycle my, my, and play my mountain
2: bike and that same type of you know the woods riding really enjoy that stuff i've got a ktm free ride that um single track stuff tight technical rocky stuff like we have out in the hill country here is just it's the perfect bike for it nice softly tuned 252 stroke 190 pound bike it's a lot of fun
1: uh, one of the things we are hoping to do this year is go to suzuka i know you've raced at the eight hours before how'd you get talked into that you know it's
2: funny because i i kind of talked myself into it i was like hmm I, went, I had gone to the eight hour i think in 2012 or I'd been in japan for something and yukio Kagiyama came up and said hey he says why don't uh you're doing much right i said you know i doing a little bit he says why don't why don't we try and do the eight hour i said hmm just me and you i said there's no way. there's no way <laughs> um he says, No, 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 we can do you can do three riders now. And I said, Sure. You count on me for one hour, maybe two. So leading up to that, I did a bunch of six hundred endurance racing, raced college station, raced NOLA, raced all kinds of different places, but only ever did it on a six hundred. Okay. And I thought, but that's got my racecraft back, it's got my depth perception, you know, I've got kind of back feeling pretty good. And um, got to Suzuka and riding my motocross bike, riding my mountain bike. 170 on well, my heart rate's about as high as it gets first couple laps at Suzuka had my heart rate 185 up the back straightaway 295 kilometers an hour I guess preparing on a 600 and going 140 wasn't wasn't quite there and um, you know it it was really really tough on me the first year and then I got a got a ride with got a chance to ride a Yosh bike in uh, in 2014 and I prepared by doing some testing here on a thousand. I rode a thousand, yeah, yeah. At um and and got over there and was doing two o nines. You know, the end of the first session, and I thought, wow, you know, this is good. <laughs> Not bad. And then, yeah. and then Aoki, the rain. They sh- well, what we had as far as it was Nabuatsu Aoki, myself, and Satoshi Sujimoto. Sujimoto was about four seconds a lap off of the times that Aoki and I were doing, and Aoki was a Probably consistently half second, maybe a little bit more than that, faster than me, on on a good lap, and um, it's it was going to go. Nabu was going to start. I was going to race. I was going to go second shift. Nabu, me, Sugimoto, me, Nabu, me, Nabu. It was going to be so. Was going to end up being almost well four stints, but they weren't quite full hours. We couldn't run as hard as we wanted to as, as fast as we wanted to and make it an hour yeah. so we had we, we would have needed to slow down and i really didn't think i had four stints in me i mean i felt like i could do two pretty easy and the third one was going to be tough but the good thing about the fourth one was it's later in the day it's cooling off it's yeah. not just blazing sunshine and um then it rained the reason i got into all the details about that was that then it rained and they said it was it rained it started raining just before they were going to waved the flag and they were going to run to the bikes so they decided to shorten it an hour didn't want to make it run any later because then it was going to be dark for an hour and a half of the race and that's not the way the race is meant to run first time it's ever been shortened in its, career, in, in, in its history and I was like oh man that works perfect that's going to take maybe <laughs> one less step for me <laughs> yes and Nabu Nabu got to race in uh, Suda on the other Yosh bike and crashed in the wet and I never got on it oh <laughs> unfortunately Nabu no, had hurt himself and they finally got the bike back to the garage i think an hour and a half into the race and they said oh, you want us to we're going to rebuild it you need to get out and ride and i was like I'm not, I'm not going to go out and ride around we don't have a chance of finishing well so uh anyway we didn't we didn't get back on the bike but it was um it was fun i did 209.4 qualifying 94 95 my last year there that was my my last grand prix and I, it's about almost identical time to what oh. i did on the thousand with a new chicane added to it and different different last chicane couple different things different about the track but i mean the times were they couldn't have been more than a half second apart I, thought, d- I did it i did it at 30 and i did it at 50 job <laughs> done, done done
1: not again yeah as much as i'd like to have a suzuka
2: <laughs> eight hour first place trophy i'm not that bothered
0: at that time i can't recall i know a lot of uh, gp racers were doing double duty they'd go to suzuka and you did you never get a chance or did you never want to or did they? no never have i a did it
2: non-stop from 85 to 92 i went there and raced originally uh, well, 85 okay. me and crosby did it and we finished third oh, i was like geez. i did it i finished with this old guy some graham crosby <laughs> guy I said and we finished third i said yeah i'm gonna win this thing in the next couple of years no problem you know and raced with Su- sujimoto and poland and Follin and I had a really good chance to win it in in 89, I think it was. Yeah. Um, Ran out of gas twice. First time it ran out of gas, I was scheduled to pit. Made it all the way around, going up the back straightaway. Out. Coasted, coasted. Probably took a lap to coast from the top of the back straightaway over, down, around, and into the pits. It's like, I mean, because as as I crested the hill, I was just barely moving. I just didn't have to push it. So you lost about a lap on that. Lost about a lap. Doug got on it. He almost ran out of gas. I got back on it. It ran out this time, hour three of the race. It ran out, going around, coming out of the old, hair, coming out of the hairpin, going around the spoon curve, and I pushed it on the left side of the track all the way up the hill. I mean, and it had to have been one of the hottest, most yeah. humid years yeah. ever. Got it back in the pits all the hondas had problems all the hondas crashed the only honda left was dominique Saron and somebody we actually re- got back in front of him hour seven <laughs> and i was like oh yeah oh yeah and it broke a freaking oil line on the back of the valve oh, cover so yeah. it ended up not finishing anyway was like, all that work. <laughs> it's brutal but you know it's um it's a great race it's it's getting i think getting a lot of the, the international flair that it's had in the past back um, so, love to see that well, with
0: Daytona I, I, you know? will, I will be at Suzuka you will. I, I won't
2: be riding but I will be there well, we'll I, I, we, I there. really
0: wish Daytona would come back in that way because that's something that you know watching those really quick pick stops back in the in the late 90s I think that was when it was like the the fastest ones were eight seconds or something like that love to see that again it's funny you're not allowed to fuel
2: the bike yeah you've got a tires and wheels yeah. and then fuel and it's eight seconds tires and wheels, sure. and five seconds for fuel. So it's third. I mean, a good yeah. stop's right at thirteen. To fill the tank is a, it's only allowed a twenty-liter tank or twenty-four-liter tank now. I forget what it is. Yeah. So you can't run a eight-gallon or ten-gallon tank and just go out there and plot around forever.
0: Nah, it's such a spectacle when mm-hmm. you can see those fast ones. Oh. And it's tough to find video of them, even on YouTube. It's they tough are, to find the really are. nasty ones where.
2: My, I had I had a bunch on my phone because I was videoing the stops, trying to see if saw anything that they could maybe do better, and. uh my last phone went in, the, went in the lake when I was fishing, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess I hadn't backed up recently enough. I didn't get uh, didn't get any of it on the on my computer. Um,
1: looking at the, the Grand Prix season, we had a fantastic season last year with nine winners out of eighteen races. This season's looking pretty good as well. Who do you see? carrying the uh, championship trophy in Valencia if I can put you on the spot you round know, you 3 know, before
2: before the race here at Coda on Sunday I was uh, I was pretty convinced that The Maverick was sure was uh, was unstoppable yeah and um, we saw yesterday he's he's human too he does no. make mistakes <laughs> and it's funny cuz that you guys have both seen the black marks where, yeah. he, went, where no, he crashed yeah. and it's like there's nothing there yeah. and I and I asked Wilco Zielenberg and Milo Marigali both what does the data say? It says same line, same speed, same lean angle, everything, nothing, any different. I, I Rossi leading the championship by six. Um, Is he now? I didn't. Yeah. Even, I didn't
0: even see that. I yeah. thought I was thinking. I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm like, he might be leading. I haven't even had leading a chance to look. Leading by six
2: over <laughs> over Lorenzo, or by over Maverick, and Maverick's twelve more in front of uh, Marquez. Marquez. Yeah. So it's gonna be a fight you know and I, the I, I don't know that valley has that single lap speed that the Maverick or Marquez can find but the risk the risk to get there is is um you know we we've, we've seen it by Ma- Mark and Maverick already this season we're only, only done with three rounds yeah, sure. so i think i think valentino's learned a lot um, not that he isn't probably well versed on absolutely everything there is to know about racing a Grand Prix bike, but I think last year trying to trying to elevate his game to to, to run with the younger guys made him on, got him on the ground a few times, and he's he's hardly ever crashed in, yeah, in a yeah, season. In the past, yeah, So I I think I have, I don't know this because I've spoken to him, but I just think that he's probably learned that by now that you know what if I just stay upright and get points every weekend, I go back. And he's probably gone back and calculated the past seasons and seen what's happened and go, You know, if I'd have just just finished third there. I don't, I don't want that. you know. I, I just feel like he's going to let those other two young kids fight it out, and I think there'll probably be some more uh, DNFs for them, and I think Rossi's just going to be there to pick up the pieces. Championship-wise, you know, you get one of them on a roll like Marquez has, has gotten on in the past and just win race after race after race after race. Yeah, it's going to be tough, but I think the excitement that's there and trying to figure out where those Ducatis are finally going to come good? Um, you know when when's the Suzuki going to get turned around a little bit? Yeah. I think Ianoni complained about the bike all weekend. I mean, when I asked him on Thursday, how is it's oh, i just oh, it's about, the bike won't stop, the bike won't go, the bike won't turn, the bike won't this. He goes, but on the very edge of the tire, it's middle of the corner, I'm eight miles an hour faster than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. all right,
1: that's, a, that's an Ianoni quote. Good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> And and then and then at the the end of the race yesterday he was doing he was one of the last guy he he w- may have been the last guy in the fives had Rossi not done a two o five point seven next to the last lap of the race he had known he would have been the last guy in the fives I'm, well hold on it can't be that bad anyway don't know riders what do, you, what do you do with them <laughs> what are you do with them yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you think Valentino has a shot? I, I really do
2: I, I think that I think the level that Maverick and Mark are gonna go try and play at weekend in weekend out gonna sneak up and get them maybe each one yeah. more time
0: sure old age and treachery yeah mm-hmm. that's, 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 that's what exactly I'm looking what I'm forward thinking. to that's Old exactly agent treachery.
2: we were talking we were talking uh, on the track PA on Saturday with Tim Coper the astronaut yeah and he said a lot of what happens at NASA is all about risk mitigation and i said that that's exactly yeah. what, that's exactly what i think rossi is is doing right now is he, he's he's mitigating that risk he's like you know what i could i can go a little bit faster but i don't maybe maybe i get it for a lap maybe i get it for two but i don't need to plan on trying to do that all the time because there is that opportunity uh, to make a mistake so
0: i'm risk mitigating out there today i'm like <laughs> all right I know I could be screaming through turn whatever in the lower gear and then almost getting the rev limiter, but if I just stay in the taller gear because this Gixxer has the brr to go and go second, through it. Second works a whole lot better. Oh than, my you know, god, a whole lot less right? nerve wracking. And it's so much smoother and easier and right. So and oh yeah, B mode. Yeah, B mode's great. It's just smoother and easier. And I literally am going faster by go you know slowing down to go faster. Right. So it's that's what I'm like. I don't want to put this thing on the ground. I'm I'm just a druno. Right. Anyway. So, so yeah, risk mitigation is something we all do a lot absolutely
1: kevin it was interesting seeing you involved a lot with the 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 marketing materials of the new jixon 1000 um how involved were you in its development did they bring you in for feedback did you get to ride some early prototypes or development bikes can you can you even tell us anything
2: absolutely none Oh wow. um
1: i was told to to get to button because i needed to ride this
2: because i was going to have to start talking about it (laughs) yeah and then i got then i got to go to australia and ride it four days in a row there so um, okay it's i'm i'm the gsxr brand ambassador for the world now um nice. we're going to go to jerez going to go to uh saxon ring going to go do a couple of different vintage vintage events all with support from suzuki to try and help push 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 this new bike and um you know
0: let 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 the world know how good it really is i tell you what i want is to get on the r version of course right i love the stock i'm surprised how much i love it but mm. I, I want that quick shifter and I want to see what all the v- electronics packages will do and all yeah. that you know my brain goes into that it, mode it's for funny sure. because this the, ride ride this ride this the standard model and it
2: it brings you know racing a 500 even before they had electric shifters you, eh, okay got it yeah, <laughs> I thought I used to be able to do this a whole lot smoother than that yeah. it, another funny story that comes in there is Ben Spees and myself he was at I forget what race it was. And uh, maybe it was Infineon. He was riding, still riding a six hundred, trying to ride a six hundred in a super yeah. bike. And he just you know, like third or fourth lap of the race, just started going backwards. He got in, he's like I was like, What happened? What happened? He's like, Oh the electric shifter quit working. <laughs> I was like, Do what? <laughs> well, now I guess I g kinda <laughs> know <laughs> it. Feels. You get used to using one and don't remember that you gotta do so much stuff with your wrist and or just you know, touch touch the clutch. Um, it's kind of hard to re- remember
0: that. Yeah, you you got to be able to do that. And I I had Aaron Gobert one time. At some, it was at Daytona, first race of the year. So the 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 wire to the shifter had gotten routed in such a way that it got clipped when somebody did a, a front sprocket change. So I did the front sprocket change, or, or my crew chief did, or whatever. Clip the wire, he goes out. It's not working. And this was like right before the race, and he was so he was despondent, and he could he couldn't he couldn't ride the thing right. <laughs> And um, you know, unfortunately, his clutch burned up on the star- on the line. What do you know, right? Pl- clutch just fried, and it was bad. So he didn't he didn't get to to do the race. And man, I was all bummed. I was thinking, I wonder how bad it would be for me after having been on. But this type of thing, like going out and riding, this is the first time I've been on a bike like this without a quick shifter in a while. Like every time I've been on a bike at A48 with a forty eight with quick shifter, yeah, you get spoiled. You get spoiled. Eh, slipper clutches, quick shifters, Absolutely. you get Everything spoiled you big control, time. So.
1: All of it. Yep. Will we see you back on the track this afternoon. Or are you taking absolutely off? no
2: good? Good. Okay. Got okay. out. Got out of my leathers so because I knew we were going to have an hour, hour and a half, and I'll put them back on and go out and play some more.
0: Right on. Look forward to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for joining
1: us and thanks, and talking guys. With us. That was great. Great fun. Yeah, we'll see you on the track. All right. All right. See ya. Okay, Quentin. Uh, that was quite the show. A lot of going on there. A lot of riding Suzukis, talking Suzukis, high five Suzukis. Um, big thanks to Suzuki Moto America for, for inviting us out to to Austin to ride their new superbike. I think they did a pretty good job. Yep. And a uh, big thank you to Kevin Schwantz for taking time
0: out of his day to talk to us. Thanks to Brian J. Nelson for taking a sweet picture of us to finally get a picture of we us riding. We finally got little twinsies. Right, that was finally. good. Brian J. is rad. Uh, if you ever happen upon, uh, I think it's brianjnelson.com, I, I believe. I forget what it is. He, re- he, he is the, the, I would say he's been the main photographer for AMA or moto america racing for 20 30 years and he's yeah. pretty he's a pretty cool dude so out there working hard in the sun for us getting us the shots shot, for sure shot, shot, shots. he caught us on the wrong side because you
1: couldn't see the kickstands see i feel like he was doing me a solid on that one <laughs> and you can tell like i'm going
0: around you on the outside they I'm were like, up
1: i'm, I'm going not i'm not having none of this kickstand business anymore
0: they, they were up yeah. i'm gonna have to do i'm gonna have i'm gonna spark you with a kickstand one of these times when you're behind me have <laughs> you ever had that happen if yeah Somebody put their oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah not safe that's not no. safe i don't condone that type of action no that's that would be something you do swidly. on a jixer, though for sure
1: oh absolutely you do that on a jixer when you have like the jixer leather jacket on with the matching <laughs> help oh man, it's a whole thing i watched biker boys the other night did you really oh, oh, yeah. on purpose yeah it's on hbo we'll talk about
0: it after the show okay a lot of jixers. oh i know a lot it's of been Gixers. a long time that and torque it's almost I mean, yeah it's almost worth telling people to go watch these movies to give an Idea of of the what history. Has it's like a history lesson. <laughs> yeah, what has happened in motorcycling? All right, so that's your homework for the weekend. All right, Pick stands up. Mm, good talk. See you out there later. Clap on. Every time you do that, you're you almost look like like you're gonna <laughs> like 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 a, like yeah. a seal. <laughs>
1: Give me my (laughs) herring. I don't think that's the sound a seal makes. No. (laughs)